0: Don't use it! Stop! Kick kick it off the right way, John.
1: Is that how we kick it off? (laughs) Apparently. Oh, crap. Where'd it go? Oh, John's not prepared. No, I. Ah. Kicking it off the right way. Not having our materials. Hey, this isn't isn't school. I don't have to feel
0: anxious (laughs) about not having my homework. You lose! (laughs) <laughs> Where's the good day, sir? No, I'm just—you just lost. That's what I'm saying. I, I'm still waiting for you. <laughs> Are you yeah. ready, or I'm ready? Okay, well, go ahead. Oh, you just want me to start off, huh? All yeah, right. yeah. That's what we said, John. <laughs>
2: well, this one comes from SF Down Under from Australia. Uh, the title of the, the review is "The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly." I'm oh, assuming no. they're talking about you. <laughs> oh no, that's clarified on the first sentence. So it goes on to say, "And no, I don't mean the hosts, just the host, but." <laughs> Clarification, <laughs> yeah. clarification, but an honest look at what's new, what works, and what gets hidden down the back of the couch in the Salesforce world. Haven't heard much about the homebrew recently, but I guess that's because you guys have been forced to drink alone. Keep up the good work, okay? Well, thank
0: you for the who did was there a name or anything on that? Just SF down on down, okay? Um, well, the reason there's no homebrew talk is because not because we're not drinking and I'm getting a weird feedback. Anyone else? What is no. That? Oh, it's, it's the damn computer again. Anyway. <laughs> um, it is that I moved about four months ago and still don't have my brewing set. I'm, I'm actually taking the opportunity to significantly, you know, like upgrade some things. Um, but that's involved me, like, putting a sink in the garage. So, you know, I had, of course, the plumber comes out and rips holes in, my sh- in the walls and everything to access pipes and you know, like I have w- drywall people out. I got to have painters out and then the plumber has to come back out. I had to have the electrician out to put two twenty. I think I feel like I talked about this, this. is no yeah. longer a casual hobby. No, no, it's not. And and I've got equipment on the way still. So, but I'm, but trust me when I, when the brewery gets fired back up again, you're going to hear more about homebrew, whether you want, sorry, Jody, you're going to hear more about it. <laughs> um, so anyway, but thanks for the review. Yeah, that's awesome. All right. Um, what was the other thing? Follow, follow up. up. Yeah. What were we going to? So I thought it was
1: like? really awesome. You guys had Scott Wells on to talk about IDEs, kind of related to Code Builder. I thought you covered a lot of good ground. I specifically wanted to talk about transaction finalizers. You guys oh, were yeah. kind of wandering all over the place. Scott, you. Got so distracted by that promises thing.
2: I did. Jeremy was trying to put me back. I told on you. Track, I, but told I, I, I told I, you. It, Scott was yeah. completely correct when he said that. Uh, that Scott that really totally set distracted. you straight. Yeah.
1: I just wanted to confirm that transaction finalizers are phenomenal all by themselves and promise is just an example of the kind of thing you could build with the transaction finalizer but they're so much more useful beyond that because for forever right salesforce is kind of terrifying when you're running apex in certain ways because transactions can die and you have nothing you can do right you hit certain limits cpu timeouts whatever your transaction goes away you have no chance to do anything about it so the idea of being able to execute some logic when things totally fail and things you never could catch before like a try catch wouldn't even catch it is amazing, right? That's a level of security that has never existed before on the platform. And I would run stuff in Cubals now just to have access to a transaction finalizer.
0: Okay, so, so I think uh, I think uh, they're huge. And maybe I'm we need to dumb this down a little bit for me. So, okay, with Cubals right now, um, I can I mean you can have well, I guess I guess I don't clear I there's I understand the solution, I don't understand the problem. Um, because you can totally like, have try-catch things in your cubbles, right? So what am I missing about this?
1: So, a, a cubble you can chain another cubble, right? So, like, okay, I can run mm-hmm. something indefinitely, but the problem with that is if one of your cubbles fails and you don't catch it, then you'll never chain. So you just, you die. You don't continue. And some things are uncatchable, right? Certain t- types of limit exceptions being hit are uncatchable, or some weird uh, platform errors are uncatchable. So you know you have a try-catch isn't actually... Always hit that finally statement.
2: Oh, okay. You get, you get an execute out of it. It's, it's not like batches where you get that finalizer.
1: So there not are that. ways your execution context can die that you could never recover from with a try catch finally block that a, a transaction finalizer will still catch.
0: Okay. Okay. That makes sense. Because, yeah, the annoying exceptions that you cannot catch, those, are, those have always Be- been a problem.
1: Because Salesforce is catching it. At a layer you can't have access to, and they fire up your finalizer, no matter what happened to your original transaction.
0: Yeah. Okay. Let me ask you this: When you, it, let's say that you you are chaining your cubbles, right? That's the thing we do. One cubble does its thing, and then it calls the next cubble, which causes, calls the next cubble. Um, are did those all execute in the same database transaction? No. Okay. No. I didn't think so either. So, why are we calling this a transaction finalizer?
1: because the individual cubbles is a transaction right like, just because it is a cubable doesn't mean that you have to have chaining
0: so does each cube does each cubable as it's finished as it's as it's completed it gets a, tra- a transaction finalizer finalizer is called
1: yep okay mm-hmm. okay so it's for the individual atomic operation of the of one cubable you can catch anything that happened it, not even just catch failures but just run code after and and be pretty guaranteed to run okay
0: and does, does this also apply to things like like Visual Force controllers and just anything where you're dealing with
1: transactions, or is it? Mm-hmm. No, yeah, it's no, I think it's only for, for cubles. Yeah.
0: So why wasn't it called a queueable finalizer?
1: <laughs> Maybe there's a larger vision. Because
0: you're saying transactional
2: is what's confusing.
1: It,
0: it's called a transaction finalizer, so it it it's a, it finalizes transactions. It finalizes but that queued queued jobs transaction. Yeah, so it's not a transaction finalizer. It's a cuble finalizer. Right. I hear, okay. I hear what you're saying. Yeah. Okay. No, that that's I mean, uh, yeah. name so, things so, are it, hard. It is it, well. <laughs> <laughs> that seems like a pretty big mess, but the, sure. the name things are hard. Yes.
1: So but, random little factoid about cubles. Uh you can chain cubles indefinitely. The first 3 will be instant and from thereafter it's a 60 second delay.
0: Is that Oh, really? So I did not know that. So cuz I wonder if that's relatively new because I have not experienced that. I'll, I also have not done any cueable work in probably Wait minute, six months. What's the delay?
1: So if you fire a, if you have a cueable that enqueues mm-hmm. another cueable, right? The second cueable will fire instantly, like as soon as the first one's done. And if that cueable enqueues and so on and so on, the first three of those, the first in the first three enqueues you do, will fire immediately when the first one's done, when the one that precedes it is done. After that, the fourth one through n. Will fire at 60 second intervals, no huh. no sooner than about 60 seconds apart. Are, Interesting. Okay. That's and, and that's regardless back-off. of the load on the platform? Regardless of the load on the platform, the original <sighs> documentation for Cubals way wow. back in the day when they first came out said that there was like an exponential back off on Cubals or something like that. I couldn't, I was looking for it last year. I couldn't find the original docs anymore that said that. But, um, I've tested it myself and this is the behavior is that it's 60 seconds and it's indefinitely. You, know, you could be thousands of cubes chained in, you know, over a couple of days and it'll be 60 seconds for each. There's no further back off than the 60 seconds, but it starts after the third in queue. So if you're trying to like chain something forever and ever and ever a lot of people think oh I'm just going to run a cubel I'm going to enqueue indefinitely and I can run a process constantly. Well okay, but it's not it's not going to run more frequently than once a minute. Mm. That that
2: seems really pure. I don't like to... the idea of of uh, doing that anyways of indefinitely queuing something but well, I mean, you know, even I, then, I never relied on the fact that when I when I kicked off a new job that it would immediately execute. I always assumed it went. No, I don't rely
0: queue. on either. But a lot of times, I'm like, let's say I'm calling an external API that only, um, let's say I can call it. I don't know, because now you can make it like I don't know. So you can make a lot more calls now.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: But in the past, I've um, let's say that you, you yeah. Let's just say that you can you're making one outbound call per queueable because you were just being cautious about limits. Like maybe um, the, the, the result size you get from it's pretty big and you got to process through that and everything. So you're going to, but you might need to call this thing, let's say 10 times to get all the data you need. So you call it once per queueable. Um The first three, I guess, run pretty quickly, but then the next seven are going to take at least seven minutes. I mean, that's just, that's, that's a lot. Of, I mean, considering that we're all working with transactional databases here, that, that's a lot of time for contention to build up and for things to get stale if they're just hard-coding a one-minute pause between each cueable after the third one, it, it just seems, again, it seems punitive. I would think, I would, think, I, I would hope that, you know, it, as long as load permits, I mean, I, I get them, start, you know, over, you know, the, the kind of incremental, uh, in you know, kind of increase in delay time if there's a lot of load on the pod. But if there's not, I mean, I, I don't see why, other than they're just saying, bad on, bad, shame on you. Don't use our... Don't use the thing that you're paying us $250,000 a year
1: for. Don't use it. Stop. Look at it like this. I, so I, I can see the value of the pattern. I, I would prefer it to be shorter, but think of it like a, like a turbo boost, right? Like on your mobile phone, you get like a download speed boost at the beginning of the file download. And it helps most of the time, like 80%, 90% of the time. You get all the things done in that first burst that you need. So it's like, boom, you can get fast cuables right away for the first three. Oh, you're actually going to do something that's going to take a while? Well, then we're going to make you actually be asynchronous and take some time here to reduce load on the platform. I'm going to put this out there. $100 to your favorite, to your your
0: charity of choice, if anyone can find me an example of a legitimate cloud platform out there that has arbitrary punitive slowdowns like this for, for paid service. $100 to your charity.
1: Uh, I'm, just does putting, API, I'm just putting that out there. To API everyone. throttling count. <laughs> there are loads of things that do API throttling. I mean, I'm talking API, about paid paid
0: cloud services, not like when you're calling someone else's API. I mean, like a, a platform that you're paying for to run your stuff on. Well, because like, like, this Listeners, is, you know, keyables are similar to like. Take um, Jeremy's money. Yeah, yeah, take it. Take it. Keyables are similar to like, you know, they're almost like. Um, uh, I mean, there's all kinds of, you know, similar like AWS and GCP services that, that do these types of things, run your jobs. Mm-hmm. I mean, everything from functions, Lambda, whatever to, so. Yeah, I, but
2: the, the way they monetize it is different. You're paying for a CPU time, whereas with Salesforce, it's just a
0: flat fee. Yeah, you're, literally, you're paying for air. You're paying for nothing with Salesforce. And, and, and when you do actually ask for something like, Hey, can I run 10 cubicles? It's like, oh, well, let's, let's run the first three. And after that, no. It's called the democratized platform, Jeremy. <laughs> okay, is that what it's called? Is that the new name? He's always said. I that. thought it was the democratized. I thought it was the customer success, the world's what was it? The world's greatest metadata-driven customer success lightning Einstein platform, three hundred and sixty. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think you can squeeze a few more words. <laughs> I know. I know. I'm missing some. A bunch. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's interesting. Um, yeah, I like. I mean, I, I like you there. They're. Definitely. I mean, I'd, I've done some things in the past year or so, maybe it's a couple of years now, that you definitely could not do
1: before them, at least not in uh, in a, a good way. Yeah. I don't, so it puts another nail in the coffin for Batch Apex. Yeah. I think because one of the arguments that still stood for Batch Apex was, well, you know, you get you get a finalizer that always fires, you can always recover.
2: Well, but Batch Apex for for what it's supposed to be used for, which is large data loads, it still has its purpose.
0: Data loads? I- I'm sorry, just date just. Not data. Yeah, you, you get a you when get you, a when cursor. You're turning through, right, yeah. yeah, when you're turning yeah. through large <laughs> data sets. Right. And a cuable I I don't think you really get that. Unless you can can you keep a cursor open across Qables? No, the main the main no. okay. of the main advantage over the
2: cuable over what what it's replacing, which is future async, is you get you can pass in more than just low level data types into it.
0: I mean that that's that's
1: I don't, I don't know
0: if that's the main thing. That that's definitely a difference, but
1: Q- so people Q- use batch apex for process control right to like design logic that needs to run in intervals or whatever like they do all kinds of weird stuff with batch apex so cube Q- was a better yeah. vehicle for that really yeah if you're strictly I, I guess they do query 10 million accounts and fiddle on each one then yeah batch apex right to me batch apex just it gives you it gives you a persistent cursor across a
0: large uh result set that you, you know that you can pro you can you know get one or one hundred or two hundred or how many ever it is yeah. at, at a time. Okay, so um, I'll
1: clarify. This kills this more readily kills the iterable version of batch apex. Oh, I got gotcha. you. Non yeah. object yeah, yeah. query locator version. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. And it, it also kills futures a lot too. I don't want to say kill, but it just it kind of. It's just a. It's like the big brother to futures in a way. It's like it's yeah, better, bigger, and better. Not as
2: useful as they used to be. I
0: mean, I in, in comparison to what we have now. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: I mean, there's there's something in the simplicity of a future, for sure.
0: But I think we ended up doing the same thing to uh, transaction finalizers finalizers that we did last time, which is just, just completely <laughs> missed the point. I don't know. I don't know. Did, did Chuck? Do you feel like we? Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
3: did I, we well, cover enough? You most? guys okay. really?
0: You see the value of them in a way that I was hoping you would. Yeah, yeah. Well, now that I know that they're killable finalizers, that that was not clear to me. <laughs>
1: Well, we got there everything. in the
2: conversation. It's just for the first 30 minutes that we talked. About you did. It. You wandered
1: around. Scott got you there. I just yeah. want to kind of close it out and seal it up.
0: And, yeah, and, and the, again, the whole promise thing, it, it was a little distracting, but it's a really cool way to implement a promise is by using that finalizer. Yeah, so it, it, as, a, as a consumer, uh, so when you're developing things, you're a user. As a user or consumer... Of these cubals, it gives you like if you if you use promises in conjunction with that, you get this nice API you're calling, and your your code that you know the John's code mm. that he's writing, right? I mean, it's it's just going to be very nice and succinct, like succinct, like do this, then this, then this, and then catch or finally whatever the hell the promise depending on what promise implementation you're using. You know, it's just very nice and clear. You don't you don't have you're not implementing crazy interfaces with different you know callbacks and callback hell and all that kind of stuff. It's, you know, and, it, and if it's underneath the code there, kind of it's implemented with that queueable finalizer, then that's, yeah, that's, that's a nice API. I mean, that's, that's one of the things, like, I don't know, like when I've cobbled together um, these, uh, like, different, t- like, test, what do they, what do we call them? Test data generation libraries and things. Like the, I end up putting kind of my own facade over some of these things um, because m- one of my biggest concerns is when I'm looking at my tests, my test code, I want that API that I'm calling to create test data to be really clear and but also um, I the I guess the word succinct keeps coming to mind. I don't, but that's not. I'm thinking of. A, I'm trying to think of it better concise maybe. Concise. Really, but really concise and clear um, because you know Apex is already verbose and uh, just in terms of its syntax and and everything. And so anything I can do to make the APIs I'm using. You know, concise as possible without obscuring what it's doing, then that's a win. And and yeah, so I think promises over these Cueable finalizers are probably probably would make me happy. I would I would approve of that. Well good. Yeah. Any other follow up?
1: That's all I had for the last episode.
2: Just,
1: Just for the last one though. I'm
0: sure you've got a long running list of <laughs> Oh man.
1: I've got years of notes.
0: <laughs> well, so one thing I want to do—I don't know—because I mean, we can do it now, later, whatever. But Chuck, yeah, out, but what I, I want to do though,
2: because we never officially—well, you just said his name. I was going to say I think we just started talking. We well, didn't even announce. Well, I was going to get to that, but since okay. you're making it, since you're <laughs> no, making I'm it awkward, saying. since you're making it awkward, it's okay, fine. I'm good at that. I, um, make it awkward.
0: <laughs> Staring. What I was, what I was going to say before I was rudely interrupted was that um, I, Chuck, I haven't talked to you in a while. And so I just kind of wanted to catch up and find out like what you've been up to. Um, We, you know, you're, uh, you're pretty well known in the, uh, in the Salesforce circles and the Ohana's. So people, I think people know you from various things, whether it's training or these play by, what are they called? Play by plays? Plural, plural site plays. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But also your valence uh, kind of data, data uh, product that you have. But um, yeah, but I, I really don't know what you've been up to. So why don't you give us a quick update?
1: Uh well, haven't been traveling as much this year. I was planning on taking the year off more or less from travel, trying to cut back. Cuz last year I was all over the world, going to conferences and and stuff. So, I've been focused really hard on Valence, right? So our our managed app. Um and that's that's gone really well. We've kind of been chugging along, building it out. Probably one of the weirdest uses of Apex of anyone that's built a managed app. We really pushed that thing to the limit. Um but yeah, I, I, want, really I want to hear
0: more about that though in a in a minute. How 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 does it, it's a weird use of Apex.
1: Okay. Yeah. I, I can't tell you everything, but I'd be happy to share a few things. Um but just for for those that don't know, so my name's chuck Dell. Uh I live in Hawaii, a longtime friend of the show. Um been doing a lot of conferences, Met Jeremy and John ages ago. i uh, really loved doing TDX with them. And I'm the, the CEO of a Company called Valence. We build a managed package for the App Exchange that does data integration natively in Salesforce. So we're the only company that has a native uh, middleware for Salesforce for data movement. And our plan with that was to build something native that you didn't need a third-party server for, and would understand Salesforce better than any other product. So the idea was that developers uh, have a great framework they can use to build complex integrations in a couple hours because you don't have to handle the orchestration. Like you just write a little shim around how do you talk to a specific API, but they once handles all the orchestration and then admins get to configure it. So it's fully native. Uh, and because of that, we have all kinds of interesting headaches that we have to solve with limits and stuff. We try to make it agnostic to customers. So, you know, you don't have to know that there are Salesforce limits at all because we just kind of magically make them seem transparent. You can move millions of records and we don't use any API quota to move stuff, which I think you guys probably are intrigued by. Oh, is that because it's a managed package? or no it's because we're mm-hmm. inside the api layer like because we're natively in an org already mm-hmm. we're not coming in through the api ever we're actually going out from oh, gotcha. salesforce to gotcha. get data or drop data off okay so you can move millions of records and you don't actually use any api quota
0: yeah so i, get, I guess it's probably a lot of outbound calling is
1: that is that the way it works yeah so okay. it's it's always outbound so it's apex callouts to fetch data apex callouts to drop off data mm-hmm.
0: yep yeah, that's really cool. I, re- I mean, I really like the idea that it's, number one, that it's native, um, but also that, and I've seen, you know, I've, I've seen some of the, like, the dashboards and, like, the administrative interface really slick. And just to, in terms of how you present a a nice interface for, like, configuring and managing, like, the I don't know, you know, the flows or what the orchestrations, you know, I don't know what the right word is, but, um, yeah, that's, that's pretty nice. I've never seen, I mean, I, I haven't seen really anything else in the Salesforce space that's quite like it
1: it's, it's pretty unique. And in some ways it was ambitious uh, in a foolhardy way. Like I, it's gone very well. I'm very, I, I always believed it was possible and it has succeeded beyond my imagination, but there was a lot of headwind at the start. People people that worked at sales were like, Hey, this isn't actually possible to build something like this. Don't try, like, don't waste your time. Um, but it's gone really well. And I've been startled by how customers use it. It's funny. Like you create, you craft something like this, a product and you put it out there and you kind of expect people to do certain things with it. And I had made an assumption that people would just needed a middleware tool to kind of wire stuff up, but they kind of, they understood what their data was and where it should go and they just need help moving it. And I was startled. That was, that was an incorrect assumption. People don't understand their data. <laughs> Let's just say that. And so I, one of the things that people use I can, this I can vouch for, for that fact. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So one of the things that people have, have done with it, and we've really leaned into this just to kind of further expand features is as more of like an exploration tool. So you wire, let's say you install Valence, you, you grab an adapter, to talk to some system that you have, and you actually use Valence to explore the data in that system. You say, okay, what's in this table? What does it look like? How many records are there? What, what do these records look like? What's their shape? And people use it more for discovery than I expected. So it, it actually ends up getting brought in very early in projects so they can use it as part of discovery. And then as you discover, you kind of start to build flows and stuff. And then, when you kind of get to that level of uh, comprehension with all your data, you've already constructed the flows. So you're kind of already done with implementation. You kind of end up being able to do discovery, documentation, and implementation all together, because the tool is self-documenting and just it's really got good with diagnostics and sort of the discovery of the data.
0: You know that that reminds me of um, I, was this in the late '90s, early 2000s when you would um, install Crystal Reports on some you know, manager's machine or whatever and hook it up to the database and they mm-hmm. could just go to town like discovering and making graphs on the tables and whatever. Do you remember that? Yeah. John?
2: Yep. I do. I remember crystal reports very well.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, nowadays I guess the thing would be, I don't know, Tableau or Click or whatever. One of these things. Probably. Well, or even right. I mean
1: the flexibility of Salesforce reports, right? You've True. Seen yeah. Some admins mm-hmm. that kind of really sling Salesforce reports and do some wild stuff and, surface information and understanding of their data that no one has yeah but that's in the context of having that salesforce data i think
2: external data as far as discovery for anybody has always been a big deal i mean people would some people had access databases for that one reason as well as they would use that for the same reasons they would use it because they would have some connector to connect to some sql server database that some IT guy gave them read only views to so they could kind of do their job and generate the reports for the CEO and I'm using a bunch of air quotes here because I can vouch for that too it wasn't just for reporting they <laughs> ended up like making it a critical part of their business they would hire shadow yeah. IT people to start programming against it and pulling data and doing all this automation because I know because I was one of those guys yeah. and uh
0: yeah that's cool um so i i guess I'm just curious like what is the I guess the primary limit or limits that you, that, that Valence, you know, I guess handles and protects and deals with for, you know, for the customer.
1: So we're all developers here, the three of us, and we suffer from the same hubris. I'm a coder, which is, I, I prefer to be called a coder. <laughs> I'm sorry, a coder. No, we're builders. Uh, we're
0: all builders, guys.
1: so there's this assumption that we can build it right You it's like yeah i can build that i I, almost always when we're talking to customers and there's a developer involved the developer says well why would we buy this i could build this and the answer is of course you can build this you're 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 smart you're a developer you can code this stuff like it's not rocket science No, we're optimists that's the problem we're optimists well, yeah. What's hard is like the thousands of permutations of edge cases mm-hmm. of all the different ways these things can go weird or wrong, right? Partial success of a batch, uh, a temp- yeah, ephemeral HTTP error for one batch of your set, uh, all kinds of weird little stuff that can happen. And how do you recover from that? How do you recover from that gracefully? How do you detect it? But how many integrations do you talk to? How many people do you talk to that have integrations and they just like don't know that things went wrong? Or what's going on with their integration? Like, yeah, it runs every day. And it's like, how do you know? Well, you know, because that's how we set it up. O- okay. <laughs> so uh, all the different sort of permutations like that are one of the big parts of what we've, we put a lot of time into. And so that ties into limits in Salesforce because you get into things like, okay, what do, you, what do you do if an execution dies? And you can do a try-catch on it. Great. What do you do if an execution dies and you can't do a try-catch on it? Well, transaction filers are going to be really handy for that. But... Um, all, all kinds of little things. There's a bunch of different little things we do, and there's no one silver bullet. So I'll give you an example. I'll give you an implementation detail. We have um, a lot of asynchronous stuff that we do, and sometimes execution contacts just die, right? They just blow up. You can't stop it. And so we have a scheduled job that runs that queries the async apex jobs table to look for our own jobs that died yep. and recover from that, right? To pick up where the job left off, mark it as error or try to, Better yet, you know, resume it or recover, replay it in some way. So all kinds of like layers of defense, maybe like 27 different layers of error recovery and weird pathing in Salesforce recoveries to try to get you back on track and not just report that something went wrong, but actually try to like do the thing you wanted to do originally anyways. And that's the kind of thing that's just
0: based on really years of hard fought wisdom and battle scars.
1: Oh man! Like so, <laughs> we, we've known each other for a while, and I was a consultant before this, and doing all kinds of big projects and integrations and stuff. And so I took all the experience of myself and my team to design this at the beginning, and then we learned so much in the last few years actually building the product. And John, you know, you did ISV, so you kind of understand the journey of uh, understanding a managed package and stuff. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I would say there's no no real corner of the platform that we haven't kind of unearthed and poked at and we found so many bugs (laughs) so many bugs and that's that's a topic if we've got time today i want to ask you about that later but uh yeah chasing down weird little platform bugs i found a really gnarly one recently with platform events which jeremy you commented on in slack
0: oh did i yeah i just i mean i love the idea of platform events i love the concept and the design of it is i think fairly solid i just don't i don't trust it yet and i just still do unfortunately I guess I, trust me, I'd love to I'd love to have a lot of my things be more event based. Um, I just can't trust it though. I can't do mm-hmm. it. Not
2: yet. It's not ready. I find it interesting in that in that kind of train of thought that you just kinda of went through that it's really a matter of perspective. It's 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 not the concept, the complexity isn't in whether or not you can do something. It's how do you how do you recover from something when it
1: breaks? It's that kind of experience. Well, that's, like, I that's, that's what, what separates the kinds of stuff that we build, right? Yeah, that, It's that, like, okay, happy path is, you know, 1x effort and robust industrial grade. Anything is 100x. Yes. But it yeah. illustrates yeah. experience. Like I think Jeremy's about to get into that, but yeah. Um, uh, it's, like, it's, it's
2: like when you first learn how to code something, you're so so excited that you're able to build something and put something on the screen that works. It does inputs and outputs. But then as you grow as a developer, your focus is less on whether or not I can get something to show up on the screen and take an input. It's okay. How do I manage? How do I maintain this going forward? Because changes are going to happen, and how do I handle errors? What do I do when it fails? It's no longer just acceptable to just say, "Here's a, here's an error message. Go deal with it." You know, there, there's there's for for smarter applications. There's a matter of self
0: recovery that has to and be there in some semblance. Yeah, and and I would bet. Chuck may not even know this, although he may. But I would bet that in in you know in Valence specifically. There is probably more test co- if you combine the the defensive like air handling code and combine and then combine that with test code. That probably is more code than the actual production code.
1: Like the hundred percent, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. And so it's it's really all about you know uh, reliability, quality, ma- you know the manage you know, management features. You know, and Chuck, you were talking about that. You know what I, what I would call like as a monitoring agent that's like this supervising agent, right? That's looking at all the things that are supposed to be happening. And did you die? Did you not? Did you finish? I mean, yeah, it's that kind of stuff that is is literally 10 times more work than the underlying task to be done. Um, but that's that's the benefit of, you know, being able to buy versus build. It's, you know, I think, I don't know if anyone said that yet, but that's that's to me what I think we've talk, been talking about mm-hmm. a little bit is build versus buy. Um, because when people do that, Analysis. They they you tend to completely underestimate the amount of work that went into making uh, to to the non functional requirements. Have we talked about non functional requirements much on the show? I feel like we probably have, but I mean, because people people generally just think about their functional requirements. Oh yeah, Mm -hmm. we just need to get some some data from our SQL Server uh, database into into Salesforce. No, that can be that. It's not that big of a deal, right? You can do that. You can get that done this week, right? Well, I mean, yeah, but it's going to be error prone. It's going to die. It's going to, I mean, you're going to you're going to over the, you know, even after you, I mean, after you deploy that thing, you're just going to find so many different ways that it's unreliable and, you know, it's, it's just, it's hard coded stuff and whatever. And, and, you know, you end up putting so much effort into it. It would have been, it would have been much cheaper to buy. Not only, not only just outright in dollar spent cheaper, but the, the value and impact on the business of dealing with all those outages and issues and, you know, or or even worse, you don't realize until six months later that it was failing every third day and you've been making business decisions based on bad data. I mean, that's just, that's nightmare inducing stuff for me.
2: Well, it is, but I think, I think also companies in general, companies in general prefer to buy over, over build, at least the smarter
1: ones. do. I I agree. I agree. They like having that support. So I'm going to add a layer to this for you. So you get the mechanics right, right? You you build something out, it's doesn't work at at first, you fix errors, you get more coverage on edge cases, and finally you get to a point where it's pretty stable mechanically. You are still so far from done. Right? Think about the personas of the consumers of what you're building. So for us developers and admins, right? Mm-hmm. that admin wants to be able to design their data flow. They want to be able to understand what's available for them, what tables they can write to, what fields exist, what's the schema. If the schema changes, they want to be notified the schema is different than it was yesterday, that kind of stuff, right? They mm. they don't care about all the failover conditions. I mean, obviously they do because that's a, a breaker. But b- once you solve for that, now they actually have to consume the service. And so they just want it to be insightful and elegant and easy to work with, like rich. And that developer persona for us wants... An orchestration framework, where they don't have to do any thinking about asynchronous cross batch. Okay, so let's say that you can have ten, you have ten thousand records that you write to Salesforce in, in a single execution. Right, that's the hard limit. What happens if you know you? So one of the way you can try to solve that is you say, hey, don't give me more than ten thousand records. You can set a limit. What happens if you call an API and they just give you fifteen thousand records? Oops, right. What are you going to do? So, so we cover stuff like that. So developers don't have to think about it. But so my point is that just getting the mechanics right is like table stakes. They like even begin to get started, but then crafting the right sort of consumption experience for your different personas that are using what you're building is where you actually start bringing the value.
0: Mm. Interesting. Yeah.
1: Anything about that, John?
2: <clears throat> I think it's right on.
0: Yeah.
2: I mean, for, for, for all of these things, when it comes to, these applications, and when you're trying to put them into the hands of say an admin, it's always about trying to make it accessible, trying to simplify things, but you it's a bit of an art form because you don't want to take away advanced features either so you're you're constantly trying to balance out the simplicity of of orchestrating mapping data from one point A to point B and anything that happens in between, but
1: also allowing it to be advanced enough to allow some mutation in between there's a real art to it, right yeah. John I mean. How do you take something that's incredibly complicated and try to make it, you can't make it simple, but how do you make it as simple as possible? How do you right. make it something that people can pick up and interact well, with
0: intuitively? Think about, I mean, this uh, not, to, not to get into the holy war over platforms, but think about how Apple has done that over the past 10, 20 years. I mean, that, that's kind of their thing is simplifying. Like, not necessarily removing functionality, but removing any unnecessary cruft from the interface, from the screen, from the experience. And sometimes, you know, you go too far. You take mm-hmm. away too much stuff and it's like, you know what? I can't use this because I need that, that lever that you took away from me. Um, but, you know, striking that balance, that's tough. But that's what makes a good product. I mean, that's part of what makes a good
1: product. <laughs> I agree. No, it's, it's that's, it. that's really the long and short of it, isn't it? Well, let's talk about platform bugs since you mentioned that truck. Okay. So uh, let me describe this bug for you just for your own amusement, but then my larger question will follow. Um, So the bug we ran across is a platform event bug where there are two flavors of platform events. There's publish immediately and and publish after commit. Publish after commit was introduced after platform events originally came out as a way to stop this problem where the handler for the platform event is looking for a record in the database that isn't there yet because it actually hit the database before the previous transaction finished. Uh, Great addition to platform events. Yep. Um, Well, it wasn't the other, sorry to to interrupt, but wasn't the other problem that people would get
0: events for transactions that actually got rolled back and the data was not even there, actually?
1: Yeah. So you would go to look for it and either it had not yet arrived or would never arrive. Yeah. Okay. Because you've been given an ID that was created ephemerally as part of a transaction that got rolled back.
0: By the way, do those IDs IDs get thrown away even if they they do, huh? (laughs) Yeah. Okay.
2: Yeah, it was a problem with um, uh, your your test I- test isolation and test setup. Yeah, it was eating up IDs. I think they fixed that, but yeah, I think it's just part of the normal
1: ID generator function. Okay, interesting. So, what publish immediately and publish after commit. What we ran across, just kind of bizarrely, is that there's um a very specific edge case where if you fire a publish after commit message. And then you fire a publish immediately message in the same transaction, the publish after commit will not get propagated unless you also did DML in that transaction. Something about doing normal DML, like writing to an S object, flushes the queue or whatever is under the hood that pushes out the publish after commit. Mm. Like, if you, I guess you have to commit, <laughs> yep. maybe is a better way to think about it. If you didn't commit anything, if you didn't actually write DML in that execution context, it will not fire that event. If it's after, If it's in the same transaction as a publish immediately, if there's no publish immediately and you only have a publish after commit, you don't commit, it still fires. This is a very weird behavior, but the the result was that sometimes some events didn't go. Mm. And as you were kind of worrying about earlier, Jeremy, that can be a problem. You you always want all your events to, to arrive.
0: Yeah. And that seems like that would be uh, one of these hard categories of like intermittent um, bugs. The, which is which is which is also scary. But what I was thinking about was, you know, they're, they're, I've just heard stories about when people just, you know, for a period of time, did not receive events. Like the events didn't. I don't know if they didn't get. I don't know what happened. They, the events didn't get produced, and by the time they noticed it, the 24-hour period or whatever it is had gone, and you know, they contact Salesforce support. There's no way. They're you know, like, yeah, hey, we have no way to get those events. And so it just you know what do you do I mean, especially if you have like integrations or other systems consuming it, then now you know stuff is the world is in an inconsistent state now, and you know how do you deal with that I mean that's because that's that's you know if you look at what what are the properties of um of these like message systems you know that's there's, there's all there's all kinds of like important properties that you know you know durability and like you know the semantics like um once and only once semantics I mean there's all these things like when 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 you're dealing about enterprise messaging and integration that that you know are super important <laughs> and if you if they're not there if you can't depend on them or if there's no way to recover when things go wrong then it's it's just not it's just not a workable solution and maybe i'm making a mountain out of a molehill in terms of i mean maybe the, you know the the two or three stories i've heard are just Extremely rare edge case. I, I just don't know, but I've heard about enough of them from people I trust that I just I I, I haven't really moved a whole lot to them. And at least in terms for in in terms of like um for like mission critical things where we we have to make sure that the
1: the state of the world is consistent. So platform events early on were plagued by deliverability problems. I've seen that as recently as last year um not in production production is more stable than scratch orgs for example um well, that makes sense i guess yeah. so so last i mean as, as recently as last year we we're still having trouble every now and then in certain scenarios in scratch orgs where we're having deliverability problems but i have not seen platform deliverability problems in production orgs uh since probably early 2019 Okay. Definitely part of the history of that feature yeah. and perhaps still here and there, but that's something they've really been focusing on. Okay.
0: Well, I mean, that's good to hear. I mean, I'm the, I'm the type of person again, for some of these, uh, you know, integration type jobs that I do that, you know, I, I want to see a track record of you know, like <laughs> literally multiple, multiple, multiple years. years. I, I, honestly, I do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's why, I mean, I, I, I'm just, I'm just very conservative when it comes to that. And it's, I don't think it's unfounded either. I mean, um, it's great that Salesforce is coming out with these new features and I'm sure they, you know, they, I mean, as with, as with any new features, I mean, they're they're never going to be as reliable day one as they are, you know, five years down the road. Um, and so it's just, you know, obviously at some point you have to, to, you know, you have to make a decision when you, when you start adopting new things, but you know, a lot of, a lot of times it just, it just makes sense to be conservative with those things. And, and yeah, I mean, the, maybe the, you know the technologies that I'm using uh, in the meantime aren't as sexy, and they're not as, um, you know, they're maybe they're not, you know, the I don't know the functional programming crowd or the event driven crowd. You know, I probably would would scoff at, at some of the things we're doing, but you know what? They're based on technologies that just freaking work, and and which is to Salesforce's credit, they do have technologies that just work, and and even when they don't work, there there's ways to recover from that, and, and unless the crap really hits the fan, but that's incredibly rare Salesforce. i mean their their track record is not perfect but it's pretty damn good in terms of data loss security problems things like that so yeah i mean i just um i can't wait uh, to really to use platform events for some of the integration things i'm doing it's just it, it's it, it'll bring a it'll bring a um s- some better performance actually better performance f- features to some of the work i'm doing it's just i i just not Not quite comfortable with them yet. And um, one thing I've thought about doing is actually a blended model where it, the the, the systems will support, you know, platform events and uh, more traditional things like query based or what do they call it? it The replication API. They don't have, you know, almost as a fault. They don't have that anymore. They never did. Oh yeah, they do. They, they
1: literally no, they, called they, their... they still do. Yeah.
2: Oh yeah. I know. What it,
0: you're
1: talking it's about. just it's outdated. Mm-hmm. It's not like a proper yeah, replication a, API. It's it a just a little slice of the soap API that does like, hey, here's what's changed yeah. in the last timestamp. Yeah, right. Um, and well, that's I, what the
2: connector on on uh, Heroku did. Does it relied on the streaming API at the time? It's probably moved to platform events, but it relied on that for for real time communications. But it also did a, a a catch up a checksum.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And and that's and back to like getting these things right and making them industrial grade. What what doing right there with combining those two techniques. I mean that is that just takes a ton of work. I mean that's that's many millions of dollars of smart people spending a lot of time getting something like that right. And you know, typical project I work on that does not have that budget or that team. You know, (laughs) so we've got to do we got to be pragmatic. I mean, so really, just it kind of sometimes just comes down to. What's the least common denominator? I mean, what's the thing that we can use that it may not be like immediate, the immediate fastest way to get data from point A to point B, but it, it works. It's good enough in terms of speed, and it's very solid in terms of recoverability. Is that a word? Is that, you, know, you know, when things go wrong or when you miss things or, or when systems are down for a minute or an hour or a day, how do you recover from that? Can you recover from that? and i know what the answers to that with some of these you know again more boring techniques cuz there's good there's good answers to that
3: yeah
2: but i you know i mean it almost sounds like you're framing these technologies as luxury technologies then no they're not they're just they're they're they are better ways of working they're better ways of doing things well, i mean it's no if, difference than if buying they're a reliable. luxury car versus a car to get you from from a to b I mean, it's
0: reliable. It gets you there. It's not fancy. Doesn't have all the bells and whistles. Doesn't yeah, let you, you, know, remote start or anything. So like one that, of the down but, one of the downsides to you know doing what I call like query based change data capture is that you you chew up a lot of API calls and queries and things.
2: Yeah, the gas guzzler.
0: <laughs> it is. It's like I'm yes, I'm driving around in some crappy old jalopy that guzzles gas. But, but you know it's
3: what? Never left you on exactly, the side of the road. That's exactly right. <laughs>
1: oh, I love a good analogy. Yeah. <laughs> That was pretty good. Yeah. I, I mean, it's what are the tools in your toolbox? I think at the end of the day, as an architect or as a developer, as an admin, app, anybody apprising their options, you say, okay, here's a feature that gives me these things and possibly is a hindrance in this way. Do I have something even like it today? Like, is this a net new thing I can never even do before? Is it comparable to something I have today? What's the kind of comparison matrix of those two things? And, you know, is this worth it? I think often the answer, if you're doing it sort of correctly and you have the time and the resources, is defense in depth, right? Could take the best from each. So in this example, do a big query based replication once a week or once a day, and then use platform events in the the intervening time to keep it topped off, right? Mm -hmm. Get that timely data. And then you get like your, the data set you trust at some more infrequent interval.
0: Yeah. And that, and that makes sense. Um, I like that. And I like the idea of combining, you know, the event based model with the query based model. Um, it just, it, Unfortunately, it just takes, it ta- it's more effort. You know, it takes, um, you know, it's, it's more complex because you're, you're combining different things and it's just more, it's more paths to test. And it's, you know, it, again, we, we're, we're all old enough that to, to, <laughs> to have learned these, these hard lessons. You can't just taste the, test the positive. You got to test all the negatives too. And man, you, you'll, before you know it, you end up with way, way more test code than you do the actual production code. Yeah, which is fine there's I actually don't think that's a, that's not necessarily a smell to me and, and in fact you probably should most systems nowadays have more test code than production code so
1: <laughs> not not to toot my own horn too hard but you can do but you can combine both of these in valence in a couple clicks that's right I want yeah, I mean, the deltas and I want the intervals yep
0: yep that's that's awesome and that's you know th- that, that guys back to, it goes back to the build versus buy. I mean not reinventing the wheel and, and understanding that when you buy, and I'm, no, I'm not, I'm not necessarily pimping valence or anything, but just in general, when, when you buy a product, you are, this is, and this is, this is just super basic economics, actually. I mean, when you buy it, when you buy a product, you are, you are combining with a, a buying group that has massive buying power to buy something that you would never be able to build on your own. You just can't. And even if you don't realize it yet, you, if you try to build it on your own, you'll, you'll eventually realize it. Most likely after you've failed, you know, in in a way that is really bad. Anyway. So I like, here's I like the the how you question.
2: pump up buying products to the developer who's hired to do custom stuff.
0: I, I, <laughs> well, that's the funny... I, okay. I, I'm, I a, mean, I'm a salesword John. I will, I will do anything you pay
1: me to do. It doesn't matter. <laughs> here's <laughs> an argument against that, John. But then I, I do want to ask you the question... Um, you use Salesforce because you don't want to manage your app stack, right? You want to just write business logic and the cool stuff. Buying an app that is meant to be foundational, right? It's meant to be plumbing, just moves you up a little higher, right? Like we still, so for example, with valence we still want developers to write the API specific it, plugins, essentially, to talk to these other APIs, to write weird custom data manipulations, but they don't have to design when stuff's going to run and how to recover from failure, right? They they get out of the weeds and into the the real value, but you still need developers, right? This is a this is a framework for developers, yep. but you get to skip eighty percent of the stuff that's the same every time that you, you always want and just write unique to your project.
2: Yeah, and that's the story of programming in general. I mean, we moved up from ones and zeros on and off switches to to assembly to C to you got it. I mean, we've all just been moving really? up the
0: stack. I still write all my code in zeros and ones. I don't know what you're talking about, <laughs> John.
2: Zero one
1: one zero okay. zero zero one so, zero Here's one one question. one zero zero. You. <laughs> uh, so bug reporting. This has come up in the Slack a bunch. How do you guys? What do What do you think of how to report bugs to Salesforce? Like, is that enough of a, a prompt, or do you want more? Uh, I mean, uh, I mean. I don't know that I have time to always report bugs to
2: Salesforce. Well supports. It requires so much overhead on, on my part to try to prove that it's an issue. And even going through all the documentation to say, yes, this is an issue. I, I had that one recently, and I talked about it on the show. I had a great experience with, with the support person. I mean, she was really kind. She, she really st- st- stayed with it. But it took like a week or two, and my time with her time on the phone replicating the issue over and over, only for them to say, it, "Well, that's just how it works." Yeah.
0: Or what? If, and also, and we'll get back to the because I know where Chuck's going. We'll get back to that in just a second. But what if you're right, what if you're doing client work? Doc does does a client pay you to spend all that time with Salesforce? Yeah. Fortunately,
2: I was an ISV, so I mean, it was it was all so your employer's time. Yeah,
1: it
0: was
2: my employer's time. Right. But yeah, on a, on a project, I mean, if I was doing that on on one of our consulting gigs, I mean, I'd be eating a budget. Uh, yeah. Or I'd be going against my internal bucket, and I'm not getting any credit
0: for that. All right. Well, let, let's so yeah, let's let's hit the softball that Chuck pitched to us. Um, there there's definitely a problem there's some there's a little bit of an impedance mismatch between you know developers who know what they're doing who who um believe they've hit a legitimate bug and and sometimes it's you know even with smart developers sometimes it's turns out it's it's not a bug like you're doing something wrong right that's yeah. that's fine that that's just part of part of the business um but but when we do believe we've hit a legitimate bug you know we're we're kind of put in the same category as um a salesperson using Salesforce that has a problem because they, you know, don't have their printer driver installed. I mean, we kind of go have to go through the same process. Um, you know, you, you create a case and, you know, and unless you've, unless you're a really, you know, uh, elite Salesforce customer or something like that, you know, you, you just get put in this, you know, you probably get routed to somewhere on the other side of the planet and some queue of someone that's trained far less than you are on the, on the platform that's going to tell you to go read the f- developer forums. Yeah. <laughs>
3: it's like, I mean, what? Talk, I wait wait was, a minute. I
0: think, I'm, I'm a grizzled old, you know, developer here who I've been, I've been doing this stuff for 25 years. Don't, like, don't, that is not the experience I want, you know? Right. I mean, give me a little bit more credit than that. But um, how do they give you credit for that? I, well, that's the we problem. we talked so,
2: about that. We talked about, you know, having okay. some kind of certification program where they could say, Jeremy's approved. He knows right. what
0: he's talking right. about. That means he gets to talk to this type of person. So, he has the so Salesforce's challenge is how do they give everyone good support, whether it's developer or whatever, without going out of business? <laughs> <laughs> um, because, yeah, you can't, I mean, even, even big companies like Microsoft and Apple, I mean, you know, they have, you know, really good developers and some of these guys are famous developers that submit bugs or radars or whatever they're called and, you know, you get, in, you get put into, it basically just goes into some black hole and maybe you'll get a response someday, maybe you won't. There's this, there, it, it is not it is not support actually it's not support because it's a completely normal thing for you to get zero response whatsoever you know salesforce is a different situation where you know if you're logging a uh, some kind of issue or support on behalf of a paying customer you know so this customer is paying a lot of money to salesforce so there is an expectation there that you know we're going to get some support but when it comes to developers, it's a little bit different. And as Salesforce has gone from you know when they started out, they were just you know a, a crappier version of Goldmine. But in but it through you know through IE five, right? That was or IE six, whatever you know, not whatever it was in nineteen ninety nine. Um, they've slowly you know increased their features and added a few platform capabilities, and now and all this, you know now we're to the point now where they've got all these you know this a uh, programmable platform with all these developers and everything and. and and it's like they because they weren't this is it's not really native to them, they weren't originally a programming platform now they are, and I don't know they've ever fully it, if you know they they've still they're still showing their original DNA here by this is still a difficult thing they haven't figured out and and I don't know that I have you know if i was like if I was you know consulting salesforce and And if I was to need to present, you know, how how to solve this in a way that is cost effective, that does the job, I don't, I I mean, that's a difficult problem. I don't, I don't even know how to answer that um, because it's a combination of, okay, yeah, we're on the hook for support for these, you know, customers who pay us a lot of money, but also, you know, these developers who are doing all kinds of stuff. And some of the developers are really good, but a lot of them are really bad and have no idea what they're doing and just flooding us with bug you know my scare quotes now bug reports so i don't know
1: if that lays the landscape chuck is that kind of what
2: you got term yeah. started by uh,
1: yeah john, <laughs> yeah we got you wound up i want to hear what john has to say too i got some responses to that
2: well and just in terms of the experience in general or how we should be doing it because I, I can go either way
1: uh let's, let's do prognostication if you're going to fix this what would you do
2: I, th- I think if I was going to fix it, I would probably go the route of somehow identifying members of the community who have enough experience and knowledge. And I don't mean someone who's got all the certs and someone who's done all the trails. I mean someone who's who's gone through some kind of validation, spoken to someone at Salesforce who knows what they're talking about, who can properly evaluate a developer and say, "Yes, oh, it's the blue check mark of Salesforce." Yes. <laughs> yes, the blue checkmark of Salesforce. Let's, let's You've been verified. Marks. <laughs> How do you And do maybe that these fairly? people become the ambassadors for developers, meaning it's a way for Salesforce to allow the community to kind of self-manage, to kind of self-regulate in that these ambassadors could help. Like we could have a GDS ambassador who, who, know, who can go talk to Salesforce and say, hey… We've got a couple of guys in our community, they're seeing this, we think it's a bug. We've all kind of looked at it together and we've kind of said, yeah, that doesn't seem like something you're doing wrong. Let's talk to Salesforce, but not in the context of support, in the context of a conversation of we're seeing something weird. Do you see something weird? Are we all in agreement? This is weird and needs to get fixed type of situation, not submit a ticket and wait for a response two hours later, SLA, all that kind of crap.
1: How do you do that fairly? You just have like open applications and people apply to be blue check mark bug reporters? I think so. Why not? People do it for architect, they do it. I mean it's it's almost
2: like a similar to architect, except it would be kind of like this board certification blue check mark thing where they evaluate you and and, and maybe provide guidelines of how you kind of
0: interact. I mean, I I hate to, you know, be the bearer of bad news here, John, but this is Salesforce. You know that's that's absolutely going to be either a badge or a certification. Maybe I'm just uh, he he
2: asked me what I would think, and I yeah. really don't want it to have anything to do with certification. But, but if or you're, if you're to
0: give Salesforce like practical advice, like that will work for their culture for their systems, how would you do it? How I mean, What would you suggest? Would you not? Would you really not suggest it be a certification or a badge? Or maybe it's like a, some combination of certifications. like if you Or if you have one of these, you know, if you've got advanced developer or I don't even know what they're called. No, actually. because that
2: system is gamed and that system is geared for a different audience.
1: And you still that, need to download the uh, the test dump or the exam yeah, dump or I whatever. Mean, I just <laughs> I, I, Keep I, in mind, we're not just talking developers here too because there can be all kinds of platform bugs yeah, sure. that yeah. aren't specifically yep. in that domain.
2: I mean, I really think it should be outside of all of that. Like, I should have, I have zero certifications, zero badges. Well, I got a few badges. Um, don't tell my boss <laughs> but I think I would qualify as a blue check mark. Oh, well, I like to think I would too <laughs> Look, it's 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 not it's not that I don't want that it's not that I don't think that stuff is valuable. I just think it's got a different audience it's got a different purpose. And I think the purpose of creating community ambassadors, it doesn't even have to be community. It could be even internal, maybe take all the evangelists and repurpose their role so that they're more in the community, which they are to a certain extent. Um, the problem is, is what Jeremy said is how do you not inundate those people with that type of stuff? And that's where I think kind of letting the community play along helps because you're going to have these very ambitious people who not only see it's kind of a give and give relationship sure they're kind of doing this on their own time and they're doing it for the community but they idea.
0: they have a sense of value out of it. I have an idea what you make it an and Salesforce probably won't do this cuz they don't they don't have open bug trackers except for their open source projects right they have they have the known issues list do you think that counts it counts as best as it can no
1: okay I don't, you can't I'll, create a known issue yeah you can't right? yeah general public can't create them yep, so
0: that doesn't count um create an open bug tracker and let it get be. Get flooded with junk. Let it get flooded with junk, but the community can um, can respond to these like first level bug reports. And just like you know, imagine it's just a, a Jira for your favorite open source project, or whatever. You know, someone comments and says, "Oh, well, here you go. Here's, it, here's the here's the solution. You're doing it right." Hang on, it. hang on. And then and then maybe it takes a certain number of votes to vote this. This is okay. This is closed and resolved now, or whatever. Or maybe the original person like says, an ID exchange, yeah, but for and,
1: bug reporting. And, and
0: only if it hits a certain threshold that like enough, you know, people who are just I guess registered members or whatever give it a th- like a maybe a vote for yes. This is an issue. That stack Overflow. But, I, but that's what I'm saying. I think they have to somehow no, crowdsource it. It's it's stack Overflow, no one promotes it at the end it just into didn't being a bug. Work. I mean, Who has that? They have their own stack. No, stack they don't. Overflow. Salesforce does not own that at all. Nor does no, it. Nor they, does it feed into Salesforce's
2: bug system. It, they watched it. They, they, they sure they watch it. I know they watch it. But it, it's still the same concept. It's still the same concept of. I mean, you and I were but, on Stack Overflow but, answering
0: questions st- all the time. So the Salesforce Stack Exchange, is that's more of just a community That's a community Q&A, is what, is, what, is what that is. It's not a bug reporting system.
2: How do you prevent a bug reporting system from becoming a Q&A? Well,
0: what, without happens, going, what happens Without, without becoming Stack Overflow, because that's the whole reason Overflow exists. So if someone just gets in there and asks a, ask a question, like, how do you do this or whatever, I mean, I guess people just immediately can... Um, Either comment and just say, hey, well, here, here's the answer. Or, or maybe you just say, here, you post a link to where someone's already answered that same question over on the Stack Exchange. And, yes. then, you clo- and then you close the bug. It's too impersonal. But I'm saying, but you, you have to, I think you have to let the crowd deal with that first. And so that it's a filtering mechanism because Salesforce cannot afford to, because what are they, What are we up to 12 million Salesforce developers now? How many is it, John? <laughs> they can't deal with that. That's too many.
2: No, that's too that's too impersonal of an approach. It prevents people from going out and ans- asking questions. I don't ask questions in Overflow because I never know when some
0: power hungry moderators to hey, go that's not or this is replicated. You you forgotten, go that. You've forgotten. You've forgotten. Salesforce can hook Einstein up to this bug tracker. Oh, screw Einstein. <laughs> that's the beer. Sorry, <laughs> sorry,
2: that's the beer. No, I I, I want to be pragmatic about this, and I want to think outside the box. I don't want to. I don't think forums or websites or log or. Posting text messages and things is the answer. I think we need a more personal approach. Salesforce is big enough; they've got mm. enough money. No, they don't. They, they don't. That's, that's where you're
0: wrong. They don't have enough money. They and still. Why wa- is
2: Benioff worth freaking ten billion
0: dollars? Because that's the modern day billionaire public company scam thing Tell that's to going give on. A billion to supporting developers. How about that? <sighs> it doesn't work that way, John. His stock is worth a billion do- I mean billions of dollars. That doesn't mean the company is, and the company is still trying to figure out how to be profitable. They, I'm telling you, they don't, you don't, Salesforce doesn't have as much as disposable money as what you think. You pay down the goodwill. <laughs> you don't pay down goodwill, you just write it off. Well, they take a hit in the down. Do you that. write it down. They, you do, yeah, yeah, because well, it won't hit your, hits everything. Mm-hmm. Hits your balance sheet, hits your income statement. What's oh.
2: your thoughts on this, Chuck? Because you've got yeah, no he's, just
1: like, no, no, he's just I don't I feel like no, Chuck just, just trolled I just, the shit you guys out of up <laughs> and, and set you off. Was, was this an S control question? Hard, this you? is
2: an S control question, isn't oh, it?
1: God, I I didn't realize that you guys are so passionate about it, but I'm glad that you had some strong opinions. Um, it's that's a hard problem to solve, right? It's, we we can't pretend that there's an easy fix for this. I I like Jeremy's idea of um, you know leaning on tools that exist today and leaning on the community. I worry about sort of making sure everybody has access. So like if you're not part of a community, then maybe uh, you just work on your own. I, I wouldn't want you to be disenfranchised in some way. If you but work like, on your own, how you wouldn't be disenfranchised.
2: Sure that... You wouldn't know any better. It oh, doesn't
1: mean you're <laughs> not disenfranchised. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But um, if, what but... you don't know doesn't hurt you, Chuck. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah. How do you do it like in a cost-effective way? There's some interesting kind of models that, that you've seen. So think about something that comes to mind for me. Developer evangelists, right? It's, their job isn't really about bug tracking. But for example, there is someone in our Slack community who's a developer evangelist. Uh, recently started working at Salesforce. Who I've noticed kind of picks up threads in our Slack and says, "Hey, you know, this looks like a bug. Let me help you kind of chase this down." And like, chases it down internally. It feels like they're doing some follow up on the inside to kind of chase down bugs. And that was kind of weird for me to see, but I, I kind of dig it. I like the idea of maybe developer evangelists having a little extra role of kind of helping chase down bugs and and. You know, maybe that's cost effective. Maybe it's not. Maybe it makes sense. Maybe it doesn't. Um, but that's one thing. You could also do sort of a make everybody go through the same process, right? You file a case. It's a total miserable, painful experience. And you eventually, you'll know, get shut down or they accept it as a, a real bug. And someone says, you know, attaboy, this is a real bug. Thanks. See you later. <laughs> and you do that like five times or something and you get a blue check mark, right? You've successfully, historically filed bugs with the painful system. And now, you know, we're going to give you a, a more of a fast lane because you, you're, you've you proven it, and you had to go through the, all the hoops everyone had to and just made it through all the way. Um, I mean, maybe different layers of things. So like you're that. saying
2: we have to haze all the blue check marks?
1: Basically, to to make it fair, right? You need to make everybody go through the same process, and then those who kind of prove value by filing correct bugs uh, maybe don't have to do it the same way in the future. It's not a It's fret. just one way not you can play around some fret, stuff. You get, a, you get a
0: social here. score from Salesforce. <laughs>
1: No, that's the whole point of this. Is that's not social. It's not about who you know. Everyone goes through the same process, right? Yeah. Like, like it's it's the current model today is is broken, right? I know product managers because I go to conferences and I bug the heck out of them, yep. and I've I've got all their email addresses and I email them and say, hey, <laughs> this is this broken? Pay attention to me, and that's like that that's privilege that I have because I get to go to the conferences, and yep. I get to have those conversations, yeah. and so. Like how do how do people get to do
0: right? Because that, that I mean, obviously, that doesn't scale is the problem. You know, we don't right, we don't we, don't, we don't want scale. these guys that's, to have. That's where I know, 100 think. A community in the component
2: needs to be there, but I think I think we should be checkmarking or blue check. Oh, why do I keep saying blue check marking? I think we should establish you know community leaders to be doing that. And I mean, I guess I guess we could. They're there. They're they're the the developer group leaders and things. Maybe we give them a little more power to to be able to to do
0: this yeah, that, that's just I don't know that's difficult I mean some of the community group leaders what are they called? community no what are they called? something groups user groups
1: yeah I mean just
0: because they run it just because you run no, a I'm user group is, doesn't mean you're is, qualified for
1: that what I'm saying is uh, those type Trailboys of are pe- community groups now no 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 no, <laughs> yeah. no no no
2: I'm not saying that I'm just saying that those type of people who want to contribute to the community who see value in contributing to the community and have have been a proven to have the technical expertise to be able to evaluate or potentially evaluate something that that's a low level or high level that's, issue. That's the key sentence, John. Yeah.
1: What does that look like? What is proof? How does it get created? It's like it's a job interview. It's, it's, a, it's
2: a group of people. A group of people evaluating another person to see oh. if they have the skill set. Yeah.
0: It's just. Yeah.
2: It's a board <laughs> certification. All, it's is, a board certification. But who's the board? That? Who's the board? Salesforce.
3: Uh,
0: you like that? The, who else to do it you, you and, like you like salesforce saying who's a technical architect and who's not
1: within the guys one more wrinkle community. On here for you <laughs> which is it has to be low friction yeah or people aren't going to bother to file reports so if it's a long complicated process to get the the right to be the special people that get to do the bug reports like that is not good because you want the bug report to be low friction right i'm willing to spend 10 maybe 15 minutes to follow a bug. If it takes me an hour, I'm not going to find that bug report bugs. is
2: low friction. You create a case. and The problem and then, is those cases are, aren't handled by people who, who know what they're no, talking about. No, it's not. The problem isn't that you can't communicate with Salesforce. The problem is you can't communicate with the right people at Salesforce. I can log a ticket, and I'll get some tier one guy come and say, well, uh, did you do this? Did you do that? Reading off some something that was in some freaking solution article off of Salesforce. No, they they want I do know it. that. I checked that. <laughs> no. I put that in my notes that I checked that, and I did that. And, and they You're wanna, not reading my notes, and you're wasting my time.
0: <laughs> no, and they want to go to meeting so you can demo it to them. It's like, dude, you didn't read my you didn't read my report. Why do you want to go to a meeting with me? <laughs> I've attached video,
2: gifs. I've attached documentation, steps to reproduce.
1: Uh, so what's going well, on? Here? I have started doing GitHub repos with like a yeah, DX format. Okay, uh, self building org. That's the best way. That to do it. has reproduction. Yep, and that's reproduction I mean, for that's, the
2: that's great. And I, when I was an ISV, I had more time to do that. But as a consultant. Every hour that I'm spending doing that is hours I'm not chart yeah. I'm not spending on my clients' work that's, projects. that's
1: the rub right yeah
2: that's where the community comes in that's where I well, can go, hey, is anyone seeing this? Is this me or am I crazy? I'm doing this and someone just comes not always, but I mean if someone knows the answer really quick they they come and
0: answer it right and That's, and, where, that's and,
2: the power of the community
0: and so as people who i mean i really whether you're a consultant or whether you're just you're an in-house admin or developer, you know think of think of a conversation with your boss hey, can I spend fifteen minutes? Uh submitting a bug to Salesforce because I've hit this thing, I think it's a bug. Sure. Uh that's a pretty easy conversation. Um, but if it's like, hey, can I spend some undetermined n- number of probably lots of hours over the next two or three weeks arguing with various tiers of Salesforce support over something? They're gonna say, hmm. That doesn't sound good. Well, don't you have like a that. workaround? Yeah. <laughs>
2: can we just not do that requirement? Right, yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. All right. You're pretty anyway. tough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. we <we've laughs> Yes, please. Save us. <laughs> all right i've got three for you to to pick from salesforce functions the future of the platform and why is salesforce spending so much money oh my god really? those are all great but we we didn't talk about functions
0: last week with or two weeks ago with scott so i feel like we have to talk about functions can yeah. we do a just a, a triple whammy like kind of knock a lightning round here? yeah
1: lightning round <laughs> Yeah, Where's I. The Salesforce, I don't you two can do a lightning round on anything. But let's see.
2: Well, you just have to butt in. You just have to say, "Hey, stop! <laughs> just shut cut up." You, off. you can tell us to shut up. It's fine. We're
0: big boys. You want a lightning round, John? Salesforce what? one,
2: lightning. Yeah. <laughs> Let me get Parker back in the lightning <laughs> man suit. <laughs> All right. All right. So, what are we starting with? Functions. Are they functions Go. or are they evergreen? Or is it evergreen functions?
1: Evergreen's gone. Don't say evergreen. Yeah, it's they, no, they were never called evergreen. <laughs> yes. You're mistaken.
2: No, I have, the, I, have, I have an article. November what's the Star 28th? Wars thing?
1: The trick to make evergreen someone think serverless
2: something? functions and compute <laughs> for the customer 360 platform.
0: Uh, nope, you're mistaken. Yeah. That should be stricken from the internet.
2: Well, it's probably confusing because in the, uh, well, I'm going to say CPQ world, but pretty much any kind of, recurring revenue yeah. schema, Evergreen means something. The jury will
0: disregard any mentions of Evergreen. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a good if you search the
1: Salesforce release notes for Evergreen, you'll see stuff about CPQ. Yeah. yeah. So oh. I'm glad that it's renamed. Okay. Name check. Got it. Yeah. What else? <laughs> oh, you're really going lightning, huh? What well, what are yeah. we doing here? Well well I think what, I think I think, it,
2: Salesforce I think one of the reasons that, that you came up in our heads when when, when we talked about um mm-hmm. when I heard about functions is that because your application sits natively on Salesforce and it's obviously doing a lot of data manipulation, my question to you is whether or not you see value in functions in offloading some of those operations, or is it just would it just be another feature that would be added? It wouldn't solve any problems or create or do anything like that.
1: I think Salesforce functions are the best feature to hit the platform in five years. Wow. How's that for hyperbole?
2: I think it's the closest thing we've got to what we've always wanted. The promise of, what was it? What was the uh, VR stuff that was supposed to the spring or something? Oh, VM Cloud. VM Cloud, v- yeah. Was that what it was? I don't remember. Yeah, VM, um, so, no, VM Force. VM Force, yeah. <laughs> the promise of that that we got teased with long ago that we all thought, yes, we'll be able to just compile some some Java or something and run it on the platform or some, some well, for me, .NET, but that'll never happen. It's more likely Java, <laughs> yeah. but
1: on i'll have to learn java so jeremy yes at the first tdx where we met in person we went to a campfire session that was like what's broken with salesforce as a platform do you remember that yep and one of the things that came up was that the logic layer in the middle of the sandwich is kind of weak right you got great database stuff you got all kinds of you know triggers and whatnot you can do on top of the database transactions you've got a pretty robust ui there's not really a middle Right, you can say, okay, I got batch Apex, I got cubals, I got triggers and stuff, but it's not—that's not really compute layer in my mind. That's a kind of a, a very heavy database layer. So there's no middle. There's or the middle is just not as strong. Yeah, this I mean it's, it's is, the equivalent
2: of using stored procedures for your logic layer.
1: Yeah, it, very sexy, fancy stored procedures. Mm-hmm. You know, good <laughs> layer, but still kind of database focused. So. where's the middle and Salesforce functions, I think are part of starting to solve that problem where you get to have real compute, real process logic that is core platform.
2: But is that our imagination? That's the big question. Is it going back to to the VM force thing where we had all these ideas of grandeur where we're like, we're going to get to do this and this and this and this and and plug it in and plug it out and, and all that kind of stuff. Are, are we making
1: too much of this? Mm -hmm i don't think so here's why and you can debate me on it um you could always do this right you could always spin up your own aws you could always spin up your own heroku uh but the problem is trust boundary right maintaining user context and or access to the data heroku connect obsessively i thought, that, I thought that's what oauth was for chuck oauth great but now you gotta build it
0: <laughs> yeah, right? isn't OAuth a solve time, like, problem
1: though Mm-hmm. Okay.
0: Hey, do we, no, no, no. well you said? Argue with you. So, um, <laughs> what about us? What, we, what about the good old days where We just passed session IDs around. Remember that?
2: <laughs> yeah. That was I mean, that, I, that was the you top password. Oh. No,
0: that that was the standard way to do it.
2: Yeah. Those are gone though.
1: Yeah. So that's tough, right? Like the the trust boundary thing is the problem. Of course, you could spin up your own compute. You could call it asynchronously. It should be call out. Great. You know, you could send a session out or whatever, right? You get a lot <laughs> back in. But it is a lot of junk you to build yourself. And it's really irritating. So being able to do this, to be able to have some process you run, absolutely, I think, table stakes has to have trust boundary built in where you can just have a session, not worry about authentication, and interact with your Salesforce data with no effort on your part. And if you don't do that as the first thing that you do, then this is not a, a feature that's going to be Long lived I think it. this was also this is
0: also one of the promises that you know when they t- when they bought Heroku, one of the th- the ideas that we'd get from that, but we never got it. This is that. It, it, I, no, I agree. Years, it, it is. But we're yeah. there now. I, I agree, and it so may probably doesn't even involve Heroku. I, I bet it's not. No, I mean, uh, it maybe is. it is. Yeah, well, but Heroku's, it's yeah, the yeah, Heroku is okay, team. That's fine.
2: I always saw it as as a cost of ownership problem. I'd never really. I've never really been impressed by most clients' ideas on security. I mean, they'll they'll have you pass around social security numbers on plain text emails like crazy every day, if they could. What? Who's talking about that? I don't. You, well, I mean, we're talking about the trust <laughs> boundary. So I'm not. I'm not really sold that that keeping your data on platform and not transporting it across the wire because it's safer is is the is the. Well, money it's about point. this.
1: If I write a line of code, I don't want to have to authenticate to Salesforce as a user no. or. Do any sort of database negotiations to get access to the database? Yeah, but we can solve that problem. No, no.
0: Imagine we don't. Hang on, John. Maybe imagine we don't have we don't have Salesforce functions. Imagine imagine you're going to do it on AWS Lambda. Mm -hmm. So you're going to you're going to call your over HTTP. You're going to call you're going to hit your Lambda function. Mm -hmm. And now your implementation of that function now has to do all kinds of authentication stuff. Mm -hmm. And are you going to do that back to build versus buy and? All the things you get wrong when you build stuff for the first time or even for the first year. Imagine how much security stuff you're just going to get wrong. You may not even know it. You may never know it because you're never going to get hacked, but maybe you will get hacked because you didn't get some stuff right. And do you want, quote, Salesforce developers building AWS functions, Lambda functions, where where, where the security is up to you and your, quote, Salesforce developer? Mm
2: -hmm. No, of course you don't. No, I'm... So I'm, I'm going to frame this this way. I'm playing a little bit of devil's advocate because I, I know Salesforce and I know Salesforce marketing. They're not going to sell to some CIO that we, we've we got functions and it runs on the platform, therefore it's more secure. They're going to sell it as it's on our platform, you don't have to own, manage, and spin up an AWS and manage that that complexity.
0: Wait, so you're it's, saying security is not a big selling point to this? No. I mean,
1: those oh, are wow. both valuable I think points. they're both valuable. I don't they're think customers
2: care as much about security as you think. I think they care because they hear Salesforce secure... They get their accounting and everyone else to approve on the Salesforce umbrella, which means any products underneath the Salesforce umbrella are on. A, I've done solution architecture and I know how painful this is. Anytime you have to bring in a new product that isn't under a an approved umbrella already takes an act of God to go through all the security requirements, the white paper analysis, the meetings and everything else. Which is all bullshit. Which is all bullshit. But I think the selling point is that it's a plat- It's under the Salesforce umbrella thing. And, and security is a huge Hell aspect yes. of that. Right? Now, we, but internally, we care about important. the security. We care about how much it takes to authenticate. We care about all those kind of details. Mm-hmm. But on the higher level to customers, they care how much does it cost and can I get it improved?
0: Well, I don't know and who yes. your clients have been, but people very, very much care about security.
1: I don't mean it that way. John's not saying they don't. Okay. He's just saying this is going to be the marketing talk. And I, I don't think it's just marketing talk. I think it's actually a valuable additional statement. In addition to security, not having to maintain it yourself is a c- super important, right? It's, it's Salesforce branded, Salesforce's thing. Right. You don't have to spin up your own server somewhere else. You don't have to own it, right? No risk, low risk, whatever. Well
0: yeah, and I I don't want to have to go have that other conversation of oh yeah, can you can you please sign a get create an AWS account and sign a contract with AWS. I don't want to do yes, that. Yes, exactly I mean. that. I mean some 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 clients have that already and then, but then I got to talk to their IT department and can I get, I need an IAM account. I need, you know, I need these you think Salesforce security is complicated, you know. Go, go read the IAM, the mm-hmm. you know, AWS's uh what is it, identity and access or whatever, that whole manual. I mean, right. it's it's uh not for the faint of heart. Yeah. And that's that's so, my
2: perspective what? on it. I mean, I think we get a lot of additional functionality, but I think from a what a client cares about, it's one less thing to have to catch oh, totally. on.
0: Yeah, but I mean, I just from just from a, being a lazy developer perspective, I, I kind of love this um, because it, for some of those, for, really for all of those reasons, but also just the fact that I don't know that. It, well, I it, from a it just makes it. It's from what I see, it just makes it really pretty easy to do things that I couldn't do on the platform before things that were that would have been a big lift because I've got to go through all this contract and billing stuff and it's another platform and maybe the developers I'm working with you know don't can't do that or maybe I don't want to do that you know now it's just i mean hopefully it just it's on our salesforce bill and it's within salesforce it's within the trust boundary i can use my Illuminated cloud or my what's code builder whatever i'm already using and it's just you know in all i got to know is, I mean, I think you can do, is Apex one of the languages? You can even do Apex if you want to. If, you know, if you're that kind of, don't know if, that you're, if you're know that, kind of, ma- if you're that kind of masochist, you can use Apex instead of... I don't of, think Apex is on there. I think it is. No, it is. <laughs> it is.
1: <Yeah>. It is. <laughs> is it?
0: Well, Which why can't we get a local that... compiler then?
1: <laughs> well, they're g- well, no, getting closer the to that. Actually, In order I for think? that to be yeah. supported, they've surely have had to create some sort of Apex runtime that can run right. off of the core stuff. Well, I mean, Apex is... You know what Chris is going to do with that, but maybe he'll give it to you for local stuff.
0: They're, they're getting closer. I, I'd heard, um, was it on the Salesforce developer podcast when they, when they or somewhere, something they were, someone was talking about right. that. Um, I have a
2: feeling it yeah. went down a priority since they've got a web based IDE now. I don't know. I'll settle down.
1: Yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh, okay. So let's get back to the the middle. Yep. So this is, this is, this adds a layer to the sandwich. It just wasn't there in any sort of meaningful way. And it's inside the trust boundary and it's part of Salesforce on the same bill. Right. So it just like checks a lot of boxes. And this to me just horizontally blows out all kinds of stuff that you could never do on the platform and makes it possible, right? Natural language processing libraries that you want to pull in done, you know, all kinds of heavy compute stuff done for us specifically to make this very concrete. So Valence is a managed package. It runs natively in your org. We have no server. Like I don't have any infrastructure that I maintain for customers. Every customer runs their own instance in their own org. So there's very little overhead or risk to us. If we wanted to do FTP for a customer, if a customer needs to move flat files, mm-hmm. we have to spin up a Heroku node to run the flat files because Salesforce doesn't support FTP as a protocol, yep. Yep. right? It only supports HTTP. Right. So now there's infrastructure, right? A- am I going to maintain that? Does that customer maintain that? Whose responsibility is it to run that infrastructure? Right. Well, with Salesforce functions, I can package a function that does FTP calls and the cus- it goes in the customer org as part of my package, and I still don't have to run my own infrastructure. That is huge yeah, from is. a business yep, yep, perspective. Yep, yep. Uh, so you can these are packageable have right? any of that. They're packageable. Yeah. That has been what's stated. I mean, obviously this stuff is like w- barely developer preview still, so a lot of time still before this, this becomes G A. But they've been, they've said out loud as recently as the TDX that we just did that they're gonna be packageable. Yeah, So no, I mean, that, that, is, that is it's, it's going to make that little
2: promise and finalization thing a lot more <laughs> critical to our workflow, right? Because this is all async. It's not like it's going to hold a transaction while it goes into your serverless function and then come back asynchronously. It's all going to be
1: async. Uh, So I I think it's synchronous, but I don't think you can, you're not going to be able to hold a database transaction open. Right. Think of like an Apex callout, right? You do yeah. a callout, it's synchronous in your Apex, but like you can't keep a database transaction open right. during the callout. I'm not even sure
0: that you know when you when you execute a Salesforce function that there necessarily has to be a database transaction. Maybe if you if you need to do a database transaction, but there's, there's probably an API that you can call that actually does the database transaction, but you might just want a long running job that doesn't even hit the database. Yeah.
1: Yep. I mean talk I mean real middle layer, yeah. not yeah. database specific, real compute yeah. no, layer.
0: I mean I th- I think this is pretty huge. I mean and, and this is the closest thing we've seen to what was it? VM cloud? Like yeah, I mean, it really is. I mean, it's the, it's, it's the closest thing to that. It's not that, but it's. So here, here's my question How crazy do we get with this? I mean, do we
2: start offloading our middle layer and stick it in serverless functions, or do we have some
0: sense of uh, self control and, and try to manage it? No, it's don't. It, this is not just the new shiny tool that you, you, you do everything in. It's, it's just for those things that it makes sense, like things that you know, are not going to fit in limits. You could do if a, bit, talk about a database transaction and things kicking off. I mean, it's very tempting to want to get it off platform and avoid those limits. And if you want to do that, that's fine. I mean, again, this is, I love what part of what I love about this is this gets back to actual developers and actual software engineers doing, so what do you doing real engineering from,
2: work. Let's, let's say future Jeremy and John are on this podcast, you know five years from now, still doing it. What do you think our best practice is going to be? Move it all to server side? Not at do all. Do all your business Absolutely logic not. there? No, do Cost no, benefit no. analysis no. and
0: sit down and see what it makes sense it's, for it. It's It's just another tool. It's another option we have.
2: Oh, I know. But I mean, there's going to be governance or there's going to be best practices put around it. I mean, think about flow and process builders, how everyone just went crazy with those. And now we're like, slow down. Let, let's, uh, let's do some vocable things here. Let's call flows here. Let's get rid of process builders now and goes strictly flows it, i mean all the complexity that happened there
0: it's just another chapter in your brds and your fsds and your frps john <laughs> did you say SRD? frs fr sorry oh, frs yeah, is,
1: yeah. <laughs> oh wow we
0: can we can ruin any topic, can't we, Chuck?
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I'm I'm being quiet to see if you got more. I'm gonna move you on to the next topic. Yeah, I
0: don't, I don't. I mean, I don't know enough about the specifics of it, but I mean, what I do know, I mean, I, I think it. I think it definitely well, fills a need that's currently not bit. being filled. It, and it's yeah. I mean, I and I think it's it's for just the typical corporate org, but also I think it could be huge for ISVs. Um, so
2: I don't know. I just think. In terms of reusable libraries and interactions, when you talk about integration and automation and everything, kind of trying to use the same bit of code, it just really is tempting to stick it all in that layer and have everything interact at that layer. You
0: can. There's probably going to be a cost to it. If
1: it makes sense. And it's not right. going to be
0: as performant in terms of, it's going to be, it's going to be, it's off platform and, and extra transactional. So, you know, if you need to do something and then refresh the screen and the, and the user sees the... The change, I mean, that's, that's not the right tool for that. Like, you still have to use, You know, I mean, Apex triggers are never going away. For most things, I think that's the
2: case. I mean, there's too many people running, there's too many Flonatics out there. I need to separate myself from those a little bit. What does the flow have to do with that? I'm confused. You lost me. No, I'm trying to, I'm trying to pull myself out of the database transaction to a place where I can run some logic no, the, <laughs> and not be
0: interfered by well, that. Sorry, man, but we're, we're, you're never getting away from, from the transactional database. Mm. It's still, it's still very so important. There's, still a, lot a of, there's still a lot of player. valuable work to do. I'm
1: not trying to get out of transactions. The I'm trying to get out of the transactions is that you where you can trigger them from. Trying to get out the events, from Apex, from flows, from Lightning Web Components. You can be the f- cause them to run in a lot of different ways, a lot of trigger conditions, and they'll probably surface them. I mean, they've, uh, they've talked about in their blogs and stuff that they'll try to surface them in the future to direct access via HTTP. I
2: already can't read you the log from some other oh, this system. Is gonna be a pain in the ass, ass isn't it?
1: Invoke them. It, it's a, it's a. Ben- Imagine like an enterprise service bus, mm-hmm. but for functions. I think that's what they're thinking that these are going to be. It's just a—you a, can hit them a lot of different ways. You can consume a lot of different ways. It's just a, a whole new layer. Chuck, did, have, didn't you get the memo? ESBs are no longer cool. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> you can never take away
0: service. It's buses um, how me, about right? how about API gateway, API orchestration? Throw, throw those buzzwords in there, devil. Yeah, it's more modern. <laughs> All right, oh, sorry. <laughs> I know our cynicism is, or at least mine, is it's it just it desto- it destroys
1: everything. <laughs> no, not at all. It's what makes your podcast interesting I guess. and fun.
0: Um okay. Well that was not a lightning round. Um what what was next? Future of the
1: platform. <laughs> How about future of the platform? Or do we have one more before that? So it's um these these are the remaining two okay. on this list. All right. Why is Salesforce spending so much money on developers and the future of the platform? Well, first of all, Wait, wait! Salesforce is f- spending money on developers?
0: This is new to me. You I, intrigued. <laughs> I feel like all the money is going to to draggy droppy boxes and arrows, but, but okay, educate cool.
1: me. Do you want to start with that one? Then? Yeah, it yeah, sounds let's like do your that. interest is peaked. All right, so s- specifically things like Salesforce DX, Code Builder, all this tooling support, the new like Dev CI Command Center. There's a lot of resources being dedicated to, in the last couple of years to developer specific things. Why? Like I'm starting to wonder. Because as much
0: as Salesforce, I mean, it they as much as <laughs> uh, they don't want you to think that it that that, that uh, implementing Salesforce requires smart developers. It actually does, and and they they even though that's not where their marketing message is that's they've, they've got to do it to to make things work so they can continue to actually implement and sell and get more customers. What
1: do you think, John? I don't know. I don't know. Have you, does, now that I say it out loud, do you kind of, you see it though, right? I mean, there's only a finite number of dollars in the bank account, right? And there's a lot of them going towards some of this stuff recently. And it's, it's not for nothing. It's strategic in some way. So what is that strategy?
2: I really don't know because I, I mean, for the longest time, they've been so focused on on low code. They've even touted some industrial revolution that that said yep. that developers were going to be out of work and everything. Yep. And at the same time, while so, while trying to do coding camps for people, <laughs> <it's> <laughs> which, like, was a big, which is which was which was kind of odd. I know. But, wait, wait,
0: you're saying everyone should code, but coding is dead? I'm not sure how to. Yeah,
1: yeah. I don't
2: know. I mean, it's it's a really confusing topic because I'm I can't really think of any anything rational.
1: That would that would make that switch. Yeah. So separate marketing fluff right from business strategy. Why is Salesforce the business doing this? I still don't have an answer. What are they trying to get out of it?
0: Well, because that that's what makes things actually work. Okay. Developers are what makes things actually work. At
2: this point in their size, they can just acquire the ability. I mean, they're basically becoming the next Oracle.
0: No, you. I don't think you can. I mean, you can't acquire someone building you a. A proper, you know, development environment, right? They, this, some of these things, some things can be acquired, but some things I just have to build internally. And they, and you know, I think you know, Chuck that, mentioned you know, DX is a good example of that. I think you know, having having a, a good editor. I mean, that's some of these basic tools. Want to be platform centric, and not well, they have to be. They have to be, and we have to separate what what actually it takes to do stuff on Salesforce versus marketing messages and messaging to Wall Street. The marketing message and the messaging to Wall Street is don't don't worry about what you've heard from people salesforce is actually inexpensive to build on and you can do it in a day or a week or whatever they're saying now um and it's just draggy droppy boxes and arrows you don't know you know no code low code right all those things and and that helps them continue to sell to organizations and get new customers and it's also a very popular message on wall street but is that how important shit actually gets done I mean, I've always seen it as, I,
2: I, if they had stayed, if they had stayed the course of building versus buying, meaning building capabilities instead of buying capabilities, I would have bought onto that. I would have bought onto the idea that they were creating their own OS platform.
0: No, it's, when, all, it's all built on like Apache and Java. It's not their no, own that's OS not what platform. I mean. Do I mean.
2: you know what I mean? At a higher level, that they would have this platform that was essentially just, this place that can run you can run and build all these different types of apps for your business, but since they've they've already signed on with growing fast and growing fast means acquisitions and acquisitions meaning you buy the capability and you integrate the capability, I don't see why the big push for for development tools lately I mean obviously we want them, obviously we need them and there's a, there's a large community who who's very happy about that kind of focus, but i don't I can't rationalize what the strategy is. Hmm. It, I think is on the right track. Yeah, okay.
1: I'm, I'm going to build on what he was saying. Salesforce as a ecosystem has grown a lot, right? There's just a lot of customers, a lot of big customers, just a lot of coverage area. The feature set of the platform has grown a lot, right? All kinds of stuff getting out at every release and acquisitions, all kinds of new tech stacks being introduced, commerce cloud, Exact target for Marketing Cloud years ago, right? All kinds of stuff gets added on. So there's like, imagine like the Big Bang and the expanding universe, right? They've got this expanding universe going on. And at some point, you've only got so many people that know how to do the work. So you need to train people and get other people that already have talent into the ecosystem to be able to keep fueling this fire you've got going, right? Or it's going to die down. You can't expand if you don't have people to do the work. So you know, thinking on the lines of, "Hey, this is a, an effort to to give the right tools for the types of sort of engineering types, configurators, admins, developers to to be able to construct the machinery of all these enterprise customers." Uh, it's probably the right way, I think, to to kind of look at the the spend, right? The effort by Salesforce.
0: Mm. I actually like that, and and it made me think of an one additional thing, which is and I don't, think you, I don't think anyone said this, but that's, that's one of Salesforce's own governor limits, right? Is how, how can, can they keep up the, the amount of people coming into this ecosystem who, can, who know how to implement and build Salesforce? Can that keep up with the growth pr- targets they have? And I think that's a big problem. You cannot create developers that fast. What you have to do is you have to attract them from other platforms and other languages. And, I think for a very long time Salesforce was very unattractive to experienced good developers from other ecosystems. It just isn't it just was not attractive. And it's gotten better. We have actual things that look like web components. We have better tools. Right? We have you know, we're getting functions. Salesforce APIs have always been pretty good, but they keep getting better. We have events. You know, it's getting they need to they they've got to be able to attract and they are because mainly the money but also it's just getting to be a less painful place to be a developer okay i have i have more thoughts but
2: i'm not i'm not sure i can articulate them very well twin beers no i just <laughs> I, the, the thoughts are still forming i mean what if we have this wrong what if this is not a overarching top down Benioff said we need to focus on developer strategy. What if this is a Not saying it's Benioff. What if this is a grassroots movement because we've seen an influx of new talent come into the the organization, a lot of them from Financial Force. <laughs> and what if those people who have now been elevated to higher positions are now who have spent the last few years trying to fix things and get things set up to a point where they can advance it, and now they're able to advance it, and they're the ones pushing this, and they're the ones making the argument saying if we do X, Y, Z, we can attract more and better developers into the community.
0: Maybe so, and, and, if, and to whatever degree they've been doing that, I mean they, I, it seems like they've been making, because you have to make a business case. You can't just say, right. oh, well we want better developers. Well, right. but why? Why? I mean how are you going to convince Benioff that you need better, why do you, why? We all know what Benioff's goals are they're, it's all financial based, you know? I mean, it's, it's growth. They've got to keep growing. We remember this, right? It is absolutely my dream and I'm dedicated to being the fastest to 10 billion. I mean, replace 10 with 40. It's, that's, so you have to speak their language. That's, and that's what, you know, it doesn't matter whether you're a consultant or, an, or just, or if you're a, a young person that's a new employee to company, you've gotta be, you gotta, you gotta figure out how to make your case. Your business case for whatever it is, because it all boils down to business. I know Ben F likes to talk about stakeholders and everything else, and that's I, I I believe him when he says that. But still, if you are not satisfying your satisfying your financial stakeholders, you can't satisfy any other stakeholders. It's just the Maslow's hierarchy of stakeholders. <laughs> <laughs> And and so it's yeah it's the business case and I and I think I feel like that's that's the case I just made earlier. I mean, why do we need more developers? Well, because if we can't if we cannot grow enough developers internally, we have to bring them from either other ecosystems in order to keep the supply and demand somewhat in check. People in this ecosystem already probably make too much money. Well, and and and, and Salesforce does not want the for so many reasons does not want the. the reputation of being too expensive to well, I, implement. So I have a part two.
2: Like Again, I'm not sure I can artic- articulate either of these points very well. Um, the first point was that well, let's assume that it's a grassroots movement and internally people are pushing this upstream to, to provide better tooling, to have a better developer experience. But I let's think
1: also that's 100% accurate.
2: Let's also assume that part B is the fact that flow and process builder from a General standpoint, I'm going to completely generalize this, so don't attack me on it. But let's just say that they're a complete failure. That they can't deliver on the promise of making pure point-and-drag-click customizations um, other than simple scenarios. Because the fact of the matter is, once you get to a certain level, they're really hard to maintain, they're really hard to debug, there's no regression testing, there's none of that. And we've already kind of heard that they want to get rid of Process Builder and focus on flow, which has a little bit more capability, but it's also easier to kind of trace what's going on. Um, So I think if if I combine those two things into one thing, that kind of gets me into the direction of why I think they're focusing on this more. A, there's some internal push for it, and B, I think the point-and-click tools they realized after pushing them so hard for these last couple of years has proven that they're just not up to the
1: standard of code. I think you're you're all making the same argument to d- different facets of it right because John if I were to summarize that you're saying we need more developers is that a fair kind of conclusion of, of what your statement mm. regardless of like the reasoning for why but the conclusion is we need more developers
2: no because I don't think Salesforce I think I think they wholeheartedly believe they have all the developers they need I think oh I don't think so at I all. think they believe wow. in the five Couldn't disagree more numbers but I think they they want to make coding more accessible in general. And they for that they need better tooling. I mean, think about the new DevOps stuff that that that's very simple and makes you know source control available to admins and things like that. Um admins have gotten a taste for coding with with flow and process builder. They want to do more advanced stuff. After doing that stuff and hitting a wall, they want to do more advanced stuff. They want it. And I, I think I don't think Salesforce sees a shortage of developers. I think they see a shortage of accessibility. For the people that they do have, I'm not sure how to, I'm not sure how to parse that. Again, but these are just like off the cuff. I'm not sure I'm yeah, rationalizing them properly, but th- so that's where my
1: head is at. I definitely disagree on Salesforce's not thinking they need more. Salesforce desperately wants lots of smart people, not just developers, architects, admins, configurators, BAs, like all the people that are part of the machine to build implementations and make them maintainable and successful. Salesforce never has enough of any of those categories of people, and they desperately want to fill those gaps well i want to like I think that's full stop easy to say no
2: i I think there's there's some nuance there. I think they have a ton of people. what they don't have is a ton of good smart people
0: okay and and does that not support my idea that they can't grow those smart people fast enough? They have to bring them in from other ecosystems
2: and so what we're saying is they've looked at the the dashboard. For a trailhead and gone, man. A lot of people are doing a lot of point and
0: click stuff, but not enough developer stuff. I think the point-and-click sells really well, and I think you have to. I think you kind of have to separate what what helps sell, and that's a selling tool, versus an actual building tool. Uh, see, and and I, I know I'm, I'm, I'm pissing that. people. Well, I know and I know I really piss people off when I say that. Um, And I I really, the only thing I mean by that, because you can, I mean, you can, and I feel like I've said this before. So if you're listening to this show for the first time, (laughs) maybe you should go back and listen to previous episodes, but you know, it's, it's actually pretty amazing what you can get done with process, building and flow and these things without having to write any code. I I totally acknowledge that. And it's right tool for the job, you know, and uh, you know, use the right tool for the job. Maybe sometimes that's the right tool for the job. Um, But at some point you said something earlier, I don't remember, I'm just going to paraphrase it, but You know, sometimes you, at some point, you cannot cannot grow that and it just Mm -hmm. becomes not the right tool for the job anymore. And you have to have the, you know, you have to have the skills and and people that, that can take that to the next level, I guess. I mean, when I think about Salesforce and what they care about, I mean, I've
2: never heard them make the argument that you can code something on the platform to an investor. I mean, it's always been we have this capability. I mean, it's point and click. It's easy. Refer accessible. back to Jeremy's statement earlier though, sells, about sells, the layers sells. of the
1: conversation, right? The the financial positioning, the marketing positioning, and the real stuff, right? They're the decisions that they're making internally about what they need. They will never articulate externally.
2: No, no, no. It's it's worse than that. Go back to go go to the go to the video where where Parker was asked about. S-Controls, and when he was asked any question about developer stuff, he was out of the loop. I think Benioff and all of them at that top level are completely out of the loop on the, the lowers, lower lower, of course, lower of course, level of course, stuff. Why, why
1: does it need yeah. to be Benioff for it to be something that Salesforce prioritizes and spends lots of money because
2: on? Because Benioff's the one that talks to the investors.
0: But he talks about, it, layers listen,
1: layers listen the to us
2: different layers of Listen to those investor
0: calls, John, when the, when the when the, um, when the analysts get to ask them questions.
2: I know, but the, so my argument is that if we're, if we're going to say that, that Salesforce is doing this as a strategy because they want to they continue to grow, right? They're not talking about this to the investors. They're talking about all their new acquisitions, all their new buyouts. In fact, the stock kind of took a downturn when Benioff said, we're going to slow
0: down on acquisitions. So I, I'd have to go back and listen, but I bet you I could find where on a – in his opening dialogue the, or monologue that Benioff gives on these – I guarantee you he's mentioned low code.
2: I'm sure he's mentioned okay. it, but it's not been part of the, the PR spin that says, oh, you can build this, build that. I've seen far more marketing on, on flows than I ever saw on serverless functions. Go do a Google search right now on serverless functions. It'll be hard to find anything. I I, I don't think we're disagreeing on that then. Well, what I'm saying is that I have a hard time seeing it as a top-level Salesforce strategy to hire to get more devs into the ecosystem. I, I have a hard time seeing it. Oh, it's not.
0: That. It's... it's- It's under, it's under the, it's like, you know, it's not, it's, it's under the table. It's, it's, we're side channeling all that.
2: Which brings me, which brings us back to the original question is why?
0: Because it's, because because Salesforce doesn't want the perception that you have to have a bunch of expensive developers to implement Salesforce. So they're going to attract more expensive developers into the
1: platform. Yes. Which will reduce the price per developer. That's true. Supply and demand. Mm -hmm.
0: It sucks for me. <laughs> I, it, it, me too. But, me too. But I'm telling you, right now, right now, they're they're all everyone's too expensive in this. I mean, there are people who were you know changing oil for a living a year ago who are who are making one hundred thirty thousand dollars right now because they took because they took some trailheads. I mean, hey, I don't blame them. I mean, I'm <laughs> hey, we're all we're, there's a reason we're all we're sitting on, we're three of us are sitting on this podcast right now. It's it's a good place to be but you know salesforce as a business they have to it, if we become too expensive then it's it's a it's negative against their all their goals
2: i i do agree at that point i i do agree that having an influx of people will lower the cost of ownership of salesforce in general but i think they get by with with a lot of the point and click tools with a lot of the just native functionality that they get out of the platform i'm still struggling to rationalize not that I'm not thankful for it and not that I don't want it to happen I'm still trying to understand the rationalization behind more de- uh, all the focus on development stuff and the 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 best way I can do it is
0: it's an internal grassroots push from the bottom up you just you need we need better tools to implement salesforce salesforce does um well salesforce does I, I don't know what the exact numbers some they're Professional service team does billions of dollars of year of implementations just themselves, right? Just think about the tools they need. You think they're not? They haven't been complaining about Dev Console and the stupid Eclipse plug and all that crap. They and have been, of for course years, they are. Though. Of course they are. I don't see why they're changing though. It's just it it because it, it, it
2: just hits it hits a critical growth, mass. Or, I the guess growth are, the growth of app exchange, most of that stuff you solve for by buying it. No, no, you don't. You know better than that. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way for certain. I'm going to say <laughs> my viewpoint of Salesforce is they're focused, even though they've kind of tried to bring in small business again. They've been so focused on enterprise for the last few years. And in a big enterprise, believe it or not, has a ton of money and they prefer to buy over build. It's just less risky on their part to be able to buy something and get that SLA contract under the books. Hmm. And buy something and attach it to Salesforce. Right.
1: The the bigger your enterprise is, the less stuff you can buy. That's true.
0: I mean, you buy, but you're There's also nothing building. built for yeah. you. You buy it, but then you have to build it. It's like it's like it's like buying something from IKEA. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm gonna pop this. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Wait, let's pop this. Let's. let's uh, yeah. Then we'll we'll wrap up.
1: It's, yeah. Do do you do you even have time for this? Do you want to do the third topic or do you want to punch? Let's, on let's it?
0: do it quick. Let's do it quickly. Uh, quickly. Yeah. Okay.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> Sorry, audience. <laughs> All right. The future of the platform. In, in brief.
2: That's what we've been talking um, about. More developers, well, right? It,
1: it's definitely related, certainly. This is more mechanical. Right? This is more about infrastructure. Okay, okay. So, I, I think that there's a clue that reveals a greater whole uh, that I want you guys to kind of think about and talk about. Um, so, Salesforce has... Sales cloud, service cloud, right? On top of Oracle databases with Apex and blah, blah, blah. Like that's kind of the core stack. When we talk about Salesforce, we think that is Salesforce. But it's not really Salesforce, right? They got Heroku, they got MuleSoft, they got Marketing Cloud and Commerce Cloud and all kinds of acquisitions of different tech stacks and blah, blah, blah. So over time, right? This fragmented sort of set of different infrastructures has caused all kinds of headaches, right? Imagine all the synchronization headaches with Pardot and Salesforce or marketing cloud and Salesforce or commerce cloud. and salesforce like trying to make these things play nicely together is a real pain in the butt.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and this will only get worse over time, right? As Salesforce continues to acquire more stuff and build more stuff, uh, this only gets more complicated. So here's what I want you guys to consider. The new sort of, customer information model that Salesforce has been working on and the 360 data manager stuff that they talked about, I think at TDX last year, 2018, maybe. I mean, it's been, they would keep mentioning it, but it hasn't really been. feel like it was a big dream
0: force, right? Last year. Maybe that's what
1: it was. I just remember being touted a bunch over, over time, but that really hasn't become that important yet is kind of like a, a data management strategy where let's say there's a, a definition of a person in commerce cloud and definition of a person in sales cloud. There's gonna be a unique identifier that is the same for that person in both systems, right? Some sort of global identifier. And in some ways you could think of Salesforce as as moving away from like sales cloud stack is Salesforce to kind of a a private cloud model where there's all kinds of little different silos and shards and stuff. And then you have this sort of glue that holds it all together, this like GUID system, MDM kind of system. And kind of that becomes the Salesforce of the future. Or it's really more about like the web and the network than it is about any single tech stack. I'm going to pause there for comments, thoughts.
2: I think that's the dream of every platform. The problem is it's a tough problem to solve. (laughs) Master data management is just way complex and no one's found the right way to solve it yet.
3: Yeah, because the I mean,
2: SAP is at the uh, pinnacle of, of trying to solve that problem yeah. and it's just way too difficult. Yeah.
0: Well, so I don't actually see if we, if we want to get, I'm going to get pedantic for a second. I really don't think this is a master data problem because to me, and I could be wrong about this, but master, these master data management projects are more about round tripping actual data models. Like I'm going to send you a customer and their address and all this stuff. Okay. Because I just got an update on it, and when and even though I, you know, only have one street line, and you have four street lines, I'm going to split those street lines by carriage return and send them to you to make it look like yours, right? Mm-hmm. And then when you get an update on it, you're going to send it back to me, but, but you're going to combine those four street lines into one. And and the problem is okay, on the simple well, on simple examples like that, it's fine, but it's it's problematic because data is not really that simple, and 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 that's what to me that's kind of what some of that master data tries to solve this. From what I understand, and I, which is very little, but at least from the messaging, and I actually stood and talked to the guy at, the, at his booth at Dreamforce, like 30 minutes about um, this, the 360 guy. And um, it's, really more about, it's really more about identity management. That's and, what I understand. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it doesn't solve the master data problem. I mean, you still have integration problems, but at least you can identify an entity across in all these different systems. Right. You can federate their identity across all the systems. Yep. They may have different addresses, mm-hmm. <laughs> and the models are different. They're not the same. Trust me, that .NET marketing cloud model is not the same as the Java, Oracle, Salesforce, sales cloud model. It's, they're just not the same. Right. But at least, you have ide- at least you can have identity across all those. But even, even the identity problem is hard to solve. Uh, I guess. I mean, in a way, I don't know. You just assign an I- a, a no. global ID to all of them. I mean, so, so initially- <laughs> no, 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 that's
2: well, not the problem. Yeah. The problem is the explosion of IDs. You have, you have the same entity represented two or three times, not for
0: physical reasons, but for accounting reasons. Doesn't, it doesn't sound like the, the initial problem when implementing this would be, okay, you have Sales Cloud and you have Marketing Cloud. And you have company ABC in one and company ABC in the other. And you're like, oh, sure. Well, those are the same. Give them the same ID, right? Link, link that global ID to both of those. Well, are you sure they're the same? Because there's probably more than one company ABC, right? You, you, from one state to another, you know, you have different mm-hmm. – you can have the same names of companies unless they're like globally trademarked or whatever. And, or you have, you know, slight different spellings and, and, and just duplicates. I mean, that, that initial identifying and federating the identity of I- entities – across the different system. That's, that's the hard part. It, it's like a de-duping problem in a way, which is if you have the manpower, sure, manually do it. Manually identify. Okay, this account in Sales, in sales Cloud is the same as this account in Marketing but people don't have that. So it's got to be some kind of fuzzy. Maybe Einstein can do it. No, I still think that's the simpler part of the problem.
2: Okay. The simpler part of the problem is tying everything back to, an, an original, to the original entity or that entity explodes out into multiple entities again not for physical reasons but for accounting reasons whether it's global accounting reasons or internal accounting reasons due to contractual obligations that are tied to that specific account so we're not talking Let about we're not talking about entities but we're talking about bit. we're talking about
1: accounts don't don't get lost in the implementation details right so for sure identity federation is non trivial and deduplication and kind of matching up but think about it for i'm really interested in the, in the implications that you see does this become the new middle of Salesforce, like the new core of everything? Is this like an afterthought? If you happen to also use Marketing Cloud, you use this.
2: No, it's it's just it's Salesforce wanted to be part of the conversation of the 360 conversation that's that's been ongoing for and, forever.
0: And is it just Salesforce solving a problem that they
2: created? No, there no no no. It's this problem okay. exists in 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 entirety since software began
0: well but okay so think of a sales, i mean there was originally you know we, we remember what the when it was just kind of salesforce running their java stack on oracle like we remember what those before they even had their term clouds like that was salesforce mm-hmm. they bought all these things they have all these you know all these different entities or no, no, let me not use that term it's overloaded all these different companies they've acquired that they like to make you think they're of the platform now but we all know they're really not part of the platform Mm -hmm. they're each of them are their own platforms so to that that's what i mean by salesforce has created this problem they want to sell you all these things that they have built and bought but when they do that they're also selling you this big problem of these things are not very well integrated and there's not even really identity across them so now they're giving you this thing which you probably have to buy (laughs) that solves that problem that they created no they're
2: they're bringing forward Most enterprise companies have this same problem already, whether it's whether they have Salesforce or not, because they've got a bunch of applications that that all need to identify an account. Salesforce is always. I I agree. I agree. But when you buy, when
0: you when you go with a single vendor for all these things, like so many companies are doing now, go with Salesforce for all these things. Like you don't expect them, Salesforce, then to dump all their legacy problems on you, but they kind of are right now. No, I think it's just a synergy of things. Salesforce realizes they have the same problem as every other
2: enterprise. They're sure. going to solve for it for their own products, but mm-hmm. they go, "Oh, hey, we can also throw in your your crap. Your <laughs> your, your <laughs> not crap. We can I mean, also bring your master data or your your identity problem into what we're trying to do to solve our identity problem, and now we've got this full circle of not only federating our our IDs across the instances, but also your IDs across instances.
0: If- What you just described, if my employer did that, if I worked at some big organization that was like, we're just going to mix our identity problem with Salesforce, I would just put on my running shoes and run as fast away from that as I possibly could. (laughs) But it's not Salesforce. It's
2: probably, this is probably, who's leading the charge on this? Probably MuleSoft?
0: I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I mean they're, they're, they're going the to they're going to use MuleSoft. They're going to use MuleSoft than anybody, right. right? They will use MuleSoft to they will shoehorn in MuleSoft to solve this and sell you MuleSoft in, in the process. Yes.
2: Well, it's more than that. Salesforce is providing a mechanism within Salesforce to store that federated ID first of all, and it's probably given priority in indexing and everything else. There's yep. Some infrastructure. Yep. Infrastructure there. I got to breathe. Um, but yeah, MuleSoft <laughs> would be an attractive product to facilitate that, but it doesn't have to be the one to facilitate it. Unless they force you to use that, it
1: but. can't just be stuff though. Right. Right. There's so much more data model to it. Well, th- right. there's
2: the yeah. the synchronization of of the federation, the 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 thing that's actually going to bring it yeah.
0: all together. Like all these different all these different clouds will have to do something to make this work. Like right, for their for their cloud.
1: So keep in mind that the customer information model, like some of the the backbone of the design of this, is shared across multiple enterprise companies. Google, Salesforce, and some other ones are collaborating on this design. O- on the model, right? Yeah, yeah, and, and that just smacks. And it. What I'm, was
2: that SAP spec that everyone had contributed to? Uh, no, uh, e-, e doc something. No, I don't know. It was some kind of transport protocol that SAP, like it's like core to SAP, but it's like this global protocol that was about uh, data transport. What's mm, called? I don't know, trying But it
1: smacks with that. And it just EDI. <laughs> it was no, maybe it was EDI. Oh, that's like old as the hills, man. Yeah. So here's my prediction. <laughs> it's like 30 years old. I, I, I think that Salesforce is going to sh- have a fundamental paradigm shift in how they manage all of their tech stacks and try to move to a model. And I don't know if they'll be successful. But I think this is going to be the next decade as they're going to try to move to a model of decoupled sort of sharded entities participating in an identity web where, you buy Salesforce and you get access to all these little shards. You can turn on and off. You know, you buy Marketing Cloud, or you don't. But it's a holistic sort of representation of the data, and there's a, a real transport pipe for moving stuff back and forth. Yeah, I guess. And then once that exists, they're going to add on other stuff and say, "Hey, you want to wrap in other enterprise products to, to complement Salesforce? Boom, plug them in, hundred k a year or whatever. Like now you can have your your SAP talk natively or whatever. Like, good man. They're trying yeah. to totally shift. Like the, the fundamental layer of their product in a way that is terrifying and also incredibly intriguing.
2: I mean, I, I think it's the same problem that I, I, I'm not positive, EDI sounds like the right word that I was looking for, but it's, it sounds like that same problem that they try to solve way back when. And I wonder if some of the newer privacy stuff is impacted by that, like GDPR and stuff. Like how much, how much can you transport to identify someone between across systems?
0: Well, I, yeah, I mean, ideally an opaque.
2: An because opaque. you're supposed to be able to opt out of that data. And so does, does 360 also propagate
0: opt outs, destroy my data? I don't think it solves that problem. I think that's uh, an orthogonal problem to what yeah, 360 is Yeah. But I, I know I, Chuck just made the Death Star analogy, which does kind of scare me a little bit, actually. <laughs> Well, it does make me, it does, it does worry me. It, that, it's
2: got its own gravitational pull I mean, to it. <laughs> so now that all these different systems can talk and identify you and stick a, stick a number on you, they've branded you. Yep. And now every interaction you have out in the world could be tied back to that in some form or fashion.
0: Well, Chuck, thanks for leaving us with a really scary thought. I appreciate that. <laughs> I mean, forget Salesforce and contact so tracing. they, the they got round. you. Yeah. Oh, well, this has been fun. We talked about a lot of stuff. It's been, let's see. Yeah, that's, sorry for the no, long that's, duration. That's, we like these. Well, we're, we just hit the two-hour mark. Um, at least when I hit the yeah, record button, but um, anyway. Um, well, so we, several times now, we've mentioned the, uh, our, our community Slack, which uh, we've got, um, I don't know, I would say a lot of people of all different backgrounds, skills, stripes. We've got, uh, I believe there are some Salesforce some Salesforce employees and some Product managers and, uh, but mainly just, uh, people that are trying to help each other out and solve problems and, and, uh, de stress and help each other out and support. John, doesn't that sound like an amazing community? Wouldn't you want to join that if you were listening right now and you were not already in? I was there before it was there. So, yeah, that's, that's
2: how exciting it was.
0: Well, how would people join that? Uh, they go to our website,
2: www, because I got to say it, com forward slash community. Or click on the link community when you go to our website. There's a sign-up form. Just enter your email. Comes to me directly. Please be patient because I do have to add people manually. And sometimes I'm sleeping.
0: Yeah. And you can find uh, Chuck is a regular in the, in the community. and yeah, everyone in the, uh, spammed Chuck.
1: Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I will say it is my absolute favorite place uh, for Salesforce community online. Better than Stack Exchange, better than the forums, better than everywhere else, because of how collaborative it feels. People are really generous with their time and kind, and there's a a culture of not spamming random stuff that's not researched or whatever. Like you get you get some uh, some craft in, for example, the developer forums that just doesn't happen here, which I appreciate because it kind of keeps things focused.
0: I don't really do the developer forms anymore. I, I will say though, I, I wouldn't say it's any better or worse or whatever to like, for example, the Stack Exchange because it's such a, it solves such a different problem in, in a way. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to clarify that. I think these, you know, the you know Stack Overflow actually taught us how to do question and answer sides really well, and it was all it wasn't the technology, it was the it was the governance model, the the self that like the community self governance model, and. You know, to whatever degree these the that the Salesforce Stack Exchange does it, I think I think that works really. I think that that model works really well. It, it, but the community has to, um, they have to monitor. It. You know, they have to curate their own content. That's what made Stack Overflow so good. Yeah, I think there's a place for both. I think some people just need a place
2: that's a little more laid back.
0: Well, yeah we are so we're we're less. I mean, a, a, any Slack right is going to be less structured. It's just mm-hmm. a it's a it's a discussion right. thread, I, I guess, guess. You know. With different topics, maybe or channels, debates, or yeah,
1: conversations, yeah. chats, memes, gifs. Yep. Yeah, you know, stack, comic the stack Exchange is my go-to place for answers. Yeah, exactly. And if I want to know mm-hmm. something, that's where I go. Exactly. If I want to chit-chat with some smart people that do the same kind of stuff I do, well, might go to the Good something And line. a
0: lot of times, you're you're trying to form the a good question for the Stack Exchange, but you need to discuss it with some people first in order to really refine kind of what it is you're asking and make, you know make sure that. It's not something that you're just overlooking or whatever, but also just like, how do I, how do I focus and craft this question? And you need to discuss it. And that's, you know, that's where a discussion forum, I think, helps out. Like, like our, Slack. anyway, so there's that. Um, we have an email address, info at gooddayserpodcast.com, where you can send us questions, feedback. Um, you can request stickers. Send reviews. Yeah, reviews.
1: Review us. Yeah. Oh,
0: Are you're true. still handing out stickers, right? So, so many stickers. <laughs> Lots of stickers. Oh, I need some more stickers. Well, just send in your, uh, it's info at com. Yeah, I'm going to send an email <laughs> yeah. to info
1: at gooddayserpodcast.com. That's really <laughs> the way it gets in the list. And, uh, get some
0: stickers. <laughs> um, other than that, just, yes, yeah, share us on the socials. You know, we don't do ads here. I noticed some of the other Salesforce podcasts started, uh, they've started commercializing their ads, which is fine. Nothing, nothing wrong with that. But we, uh, we're totally organic and we're just all about the community. It's, a, it's kind of a nonprofit thing. So uh, share us with your friends and your colleagues and on your Twitters and whatever, whatever you do. That always helps. We just want to grow this thing and, and just make sure that people know about it, who, who could uh, benefit and contribute to it. Chuck, thanks for joining us. Where can people find out more about Valence?
1: Uh, they can find information about Valence at our website, which is valence.app. That's V-A-L-E-N-C-E eapp A-P-P.
0: That's a, that's a cool uh, domain, actually. Who owns that domain? Yeah, well, obviously Chuck
2: does. No, I mean who's who's got the the dot app? <laughs> oh, who's got
1: the
0: TLD? I don't know. That's that's one of the relatively new ones, I guess. Yeah, yeah,
1: it came out pretty recently.
0: Cool. And also um, check out Chuck's um, Plural Site. He's got some
1: several videos on Plural Site. Those are uh, yeah, I did a, a video on uh, authenticating external applications with Salesforce OAuth deep dive and a bunch of stuff with. Name credentials. And then I did a video last year on uh, Lightning Web Components for Salesforce developers that's free. There's no uh, paywall on that one. And you can just watch it if you want to understand Lightning Web Components.
0: Awesome. Yeah, that's always cool. All right. John, anything from you? Nope. Chuck, anything else from you?
1: I just appreciate this yeah. uh, really robust conversation. Yeah, no, it was
0: good. I, I miss you, man. I uh, can't wait till we get to actually hang out again together in real life. Yeah.
1: In-person conferences uh, used to be a thing. ah one of these days, got to kick the 2021. Got to kick the corona ass. Yeah. <laughs> gotcha.
0: And to that, I say good day, sir. You get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir. <laughs> I'll have to clean that up. <laughs>